gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence. From the Ancient One studio, this is the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. Welcome to the Cube. (laughs) (laughs) Hello everyone and welcome to episode 93 of the Cubic Shenanigans Warhammer Podcast. I am your host Dan. And I'm Brendan. Brendan, the sons of Grimnar are hitting the table, buddy. Yeah. This is a more familiar episode i think for a lot of folks we've got the fire slayers battle tome that we're going to talk about here today we've got the new battle scroll which came out dealing with the prime targets and the prime hunters a new mechanic that has been introduced in a aim to help correct for some more problem units Mm -hmm. i have some feelings (laughs) okay good and then we're going to talk about the scriptor mortis you know, paragraph preview that we got and for Night Hunt, yeah. For Night Hunt, yeah. New character, yep. And I have some feelings. So we're gonna share all that with you. We're in our new house here, new studio. And this is now officially the Ancient One studio as opposed to Riverwalk Studio. Mm-hmm. I'm embracing my Your chronological old, age. Your that you're in? Just chronological age. But not otherwise. So so we're all settled in and stuff to talk about with that and it's all good it's going well yeah things are getting we've progress man nothing the number of boxes we've knocked out compared to what we had on monday i mean it speaks volumes that the first thing you set up was your hobby dust (laughs) of course with the patience of someone else she was yeah as she worked on the kitchen i was in the office trying to get stuff prepared that was your highest priority too right cindy (laughs) was (laughs) Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. Well, then we'll move on, man. I think we're ready. We got a full show for everybody, and uh, let's get going. Woo. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Okay, Brendan. Hobby time for you. It's crunch time, man. So close. We're almost done. Ugh. I am waiting for a letter to arrive from my teammate, Mike Butcher, who has mm. some hobby magic, as it was put to me, <laughs> for how to do these banners. Okay. He has done up some sort of decal template thing mm. uh, to use. Because, number one, he does really nice banners, and I've always kind of wondered mm. how he does it. Because, like, he's a great painter, and the freehand is just, like, immaculate on it. But I guess this is a, a bit of a shortcut kind of a thing for someone like me. I'm real excited to have that show up and so I can finish mm. off the banners, because that's the only thing I have left. Great. Every model is painted. All the bases are done. Excellent. Everything is on where it needs to be. All that is left <clears throat> is the little flags that everyone is holding. Excellent. Great news. So, Great news. That's great. While I've been waiting for that, I've started working on my stuff for Vault Wars. Yeah. So getting all that assembled, and I put some paint on on some Kurnoth Hunters today. So yep. always on to the next one. Yeah, of course. Get ready for the next thing. Yeah, Hobby, obviously, we official move was Monday when the movers came. We were moving Saturday and Sunday as well. Mm-hmm. Um, stuff we wanted to move ourselves. And my hobby space is ready to roll, which is really cool. You got to see a little bit of it today. And the first project in the queue is Nagash. So I'm going to try a Nagash haunt list for a Rubicon mm-hmm. for our one day and see how that goes. And we had kind of committed to each other to get at least a few games in yeah. before we get to that event. So really, that's it for me, hobby. And I just obviously haven't been 
very focused on that. Reasonably so. Yeah, a few other priorities. So that's it for Hobby. Kind of short there. So pre-orders. We have combat patrols for Grey Knights and Thousand Suns. So that's the big thing on the 40K side. Now that all the Eldari are flying around and doing their thing. And Tyranid previews, Brendan. Whoa, man. There is just some insane cool stuff. If you're a Tyranid player, you got to be happy. There's one Mandatory thing. happiness. Yes. They have this one creature called a Trigon, which basically pops up on, from underground, can pop back underground and do whatever. 16 attacks, which are like strength eight, you know, some monstrous giant slashing kind like of one attack. One beefy boy. 16. There's some kind of a mechanic called imperatives where their synapse creatures can give benefit. But one of the things they can do is give a four up in to monsters like the Trigon. Carnifexes can get a four-up invuln. Listeners, just for clarification, for those who don't know, the invuln save is not like a ward save in Sigmar. Mm -hmm. It does not slough off mortal wounds, but everything else it's good against, unless the rule specifically says it ignores invuln saves. Yeah, it's a cap against... AP right. in that game. Essentially, yeah. Our Mortals still yeah, get through. Stuff. But it's still, yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. But it's still very powerful. A couple of other things that are nuts with the little guys is one of the imperatives gives Hormagons a two and a half inch reach in combat, which means you can get three rows of these things in combat. So they spell out on the profile that it's two and a half? No, the special rule gives them, if you're within two and a half, you can attack, Mm. is what it says. And on one inch bases, that means three rows, you know, three ranks, which is totally nuts. If you got like a 30 Hormagons, they also added an attack. So that'd be 90 attacks (laughs) from one unit of 30, which is crazy. Seems all right. Yeah. And then the other thing that's kind of interesting is they have a bioweapon, the Termagants, the little guys have, mm-hmm. called a Devourer. And it's Assault 3, so it gets three shots. So if you have a unit of 20 of them, that's 60 shots. It's pretty respectable. Sure. Well, I saw a preview that said it was going to Assault 5. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that means 20 Gaunts could get 100 shots. <laughs> somebody you call them devil gods because they have devourers uh but just stuff like that, that that's that showing seems up. like a lot yeah you get th- if you have a unit of 30 i you don't need to do the math here it's it's pretty nuts but well, it's all exciting players have lots and lots of dice <laughs> yeah of course yeah just bucket like imagine just rolling 50 dice at a time you know it's crazy yeah, old cun and ruck dice <laughs> yeah. rolling yeah there you go if you're again a tyrannic player or you know someone who is you got to be excited for them because it's really really crazy stuff curse City, from what I understand, there's like a what do you do? A, a made custom, to order. Made to order. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah, it's made to order, and supposedly that ends tomorrow because it did come out. It's been available, so that's really release stuff in terms of the you know gray plastic games played. We have been playing a game called We're Moving In in our home. Mm-hmm. It's a cooperative slash competitive game yeah really interesting because the goal is to unpack as many boxes as you can but it's also gets competitive because you want to put different things in different in the same place you're not agreeing on that so it's kind of like a team thing but if you get too many people in the same room on the board you know gets a little contentious so Mm. it pays to have people in different rooms working on things you can get more accomplished Anyway. It has nothing to do with your real life situation. No, no, it's all, not at all. Totally hypothetical. Because I've man. been playing nothing else. Okay. <laughs> Other than that, what's up with you? Have you had a chance to do cool stuff? Been playing a little bit of Wasteland 3. Mm-hmm. So working on the Holy Detonation DLC. Yep. 
Not a big fan of this DLC versus Steeltown. They introduced a new mechanic, which the mechanic itself is fine, where they have like these different missions that you have to... So everything is a mission of some variety, where in these missions, you have to go complete the thing, and if you don't do it in a timely manner, you'll be overwhelmed by enemies because enemies continue spawning and that okay. kind of stuff, right. which is cool, and I like that. But each of these big main events that you have to do is at minimum an hour oh and you can't save while you're in combat oh that's no good yeah oh you got to get it all kind of in in one go yeah it's tough it's definitely something the other bit of it it feels all just kind of disjointed and the compared to steel town yeah compared to steel town and the rest of the game where this feels like a bunch of ideas that the developers had and they're you know like in their notebooks and they just kind of squished it all together and they're like here (laughs) okay you get railroaded into uh, a lot of the decisions which is kind of a bummer because throughout the rest of the game you have tons of choices that you can make Mm -hmm. and you have to do this well i mean and that was one of the things that you really when you did your reboot Mm -hmm. you really loved the fact that you could make all these evil choices we can make all these different decisions which have different consequences and change the game state in a meaningful way and this is just like you have to do this thing okay okay and well you have to do it this way too but what if i don't want to Mm -hmm. like what if i stood you know in this room where the waves and waves of enemies continued coming at me and we just continued fending them off for four hours like you're telling me that like you know the game doesn't run out of (laughs) enemies at some point like it's okay to make that like kind of a non-viable way to do it Mm. you run out of ammo you you know your guys die and that kind of stuff like okay but it's a very different play experience than you've had with the game yeah so i've not really enjoyed that bit of dlc so far i think the concept is cool Mm. where there's this basically two different religious warring factions over this like weird time diluted nuclear detonation in the middle of cheyenne mountain that Mm. is kind of held in stasis of sorts and it's bizarre it's interesting okay but yeah, past that, haven't... Like, we'll finish it, right? We'll see how it goes, and maybe it gets better as the story goes on, but you know, there's just some stuff where I'm just like, this is not their best work. Okay. Have you done any Warhammer at all? Yeah, I got a game in last week with my Vault Wars Sylvaneth stuff. Yeah. And I played some Cruel Boys. Okay. And I did a lot of learning about what the army does. Okay, you're uh, Sylvaneth. Yes. Okay. The structure and the nature of what I'm working with is a gnar root army where I've got the classic turbo buffed war song, mm-hmm. a tree lord ancients, a branch wraith, the one that summons dryads, 20 dryads, three sword hunters, six scythe hunters, and a regular tree lord with the umbral spell portal cogs and the spite swarm hive all in a one drop. And getting the umbral spell portal off. Very important. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm aware. <laughs> key elements of that game, you know, yeah. of being successful in that yes. game, and turns in which you don't do that and aren't able to get it where you need it to be. It's not very good. <laughs> Thankfully, though, it didn't bite me in the butt too hard. I was able to sneak out the win at the ends. Okay. You know, it just got into a place where, yeah, the game was tight, the game was tight, but as we got to the end, you know, I had a large percentage of my army still and oh, wow. you know, Great. he didn't have anything but it's it's this slow moving momentum building that you have to do where you have to be kind of in the vein of the old 
Legions and Nagash book where you had to be thinking several turns ahead in terms of what it is that you needed each unit to do and where they needed to be in order to be successful. Okay. So... You know, there was a lot of learning on my part, which was cool. I spent a lot of time in my book, you know, making sure that my rules were right and stuff like that. So, you know, that's, as you know, I normally don't even... No, you don't have a book laying around ever. Yeah, it's so... Not in my experience. Yeah, so, you know, that was a little frustrating for me that, you know, I have to make sure that I've got all of these different, you know, gears meshing correctly and that I'm doing it correctly because the last thing I want is to get to a tournament game and then someone says hey that's not how that works and, and then we look at it together and we go oh no yeah you're right <laughs> oh no it was a fun one it's mostly just been making sure I have what I need done for Adepticon teams from a painting perspective mm-hmm. or from a TOing perspective for champs you know making sure okay. that we've got all the last bit of stuff you know kind of tied off and sure doing what we need to do good so yeah. you feel prepared yeah, for that. As ready as we can be. Sure. All right, good. Well, I'm glad you got a game in at least one game with that. Yeah, and so once Adepticon's list, over, that's going to be my orientation for that. And, you know, parallel to it is preparation for ATC. And uh, Vault Wars, and mm-hmm. we got that coming up. Events, then? Adepticon is imminent. By the time people are listening to this show, they'll probably be driving or whatever. Driving or afterwards. Yes. <laughs> to or from the event. <laughs> yeah. So that's coming up. We got the Spring Rubicon, which is still only about three weeks away. It's mm-hmm. pretty close. Vault Wars is a couple months out. A little less than a couple yep. months out. And then your ATC. And Meltdown in July. July. Yeah. Coming up. Getting ready for all that stuff. I've still got to decide what I want to take the Vault Wars, and this Rubicon is going to be a good... Proving ground. Yeah, for me, whether I want to go with Nagash Haunt or if I want to still try my crazy wolf list, you know, see if that'll work. Mm -hmm. But we'll see. we got plenty of time for that. So good. Good stuff. And I think... That is it. Anything else going on? Tickets are going to go on sale for NashCon relatively soon. Okay. That same weekend is also the Gateway Open, so you can go to Nashville, you can go to St. Louis. Yep. All right. Coolio. So that is coming up mid-August. All right. Okay. Then uh, we're moving on. We're going to go to Emperor Lies and talk about some different stuff, and we're going to talk about Fire Slayers. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, what are we, a team? No, no, no. We're a chemical mixture that makes chaos. We're, We're a time bomb. So we're going to start out, Emperor Lies, with some commentary about the Scriptor Mortis, which is the new character for Night Haunt in the Daughter's Night Haunt box that's coming out mm-hmm. for the two battle tomes. And the Scriptor Mortis is a character who, at least from the rules preview, and now again, we don't have really good context for this. We don't know what else he does. We don't know how he fits into the new book. You don't know your points. Right. Right. You know, you don't know... Right. If it's a priest, if it's a wizard, you know, what are you getting for all of this? Right. But we do know one of his special rules. And the special rule is that he can pick an enemy hero. Mm -hmm. And at that point, that hero is in the book of judgment. And every battle round. And at the end of the game, you pointed out earlier when we were talking, you get to roll a die to see if the character or the hero is judged and if the die roll is less than the battle round so in battle round one you wouldn't be able to do anything battle round two well, you have to roll a one so what you have to do is in your hero phase you're going to judge it so the turn Correct. in which you do the recording of the judge soul yes uh that enemy hero must be visible and not have the death keyword that's right. it that's all you but do but they can be anywhere on the board mm-hmm. as yeah. long as they're visible yep. so then in all of the subsequent hero phases mm-hmm. 
that's when you get into this dice rolling mechanic where you have to right. roll a d6, and if it's less than the battle round, then you get to roll 2d6 mortal wounds against it. Correct. I mean, everybody's got opinions, obviously, about this without the context. My first thought on this is it's cool. It's different. It certainly has potential. I mean, the spike on this is crazy. You know, 10d6 over the course of the game, if it goes yeah, if, if, five rounds. <laughs> if you picked a hero that can take 10d6 mortal wounds, the game goes five battle rounds and ends, and then you have... Also rolled a one, a one or a two, a one, two or a three, a one, two, three or four, or a one, two, three or four right. again. The math on this is crazy. And again, it's just very, very swingy based on just what we know. Is it interesting? Yeah. And it would be great. I mean, it's one of those things where you have a model, you have mechanics that if you hit, you're just screaming with joy because it's it's amazing. I rolled that one and then I rolled a nine on my two D6. Awesome. But then if you roll a two, nothing happens <laughs> on that first, second battle round, right? Just very, very swingy. Again, without anything else, it's like, meh, okay, cool. Yeah, but, yeah, whatever. Yeah, and so you can change your judgment target throughout the game. Correct. But it costs you that hero phase's judgment roll. Correct. Mm-hmm. Now, you could just take six of them. Yeah. <laughs> sure, there you go. Yep, you could do that. Then you get to roll one more dice. So that's it on the Scriptum Mortis and initial thoughts and reaction to that. It's unique. It's different. Yeah, that it is. So let's move on to the Battle Scroll for March 2022. Yes. So just like we had in the winter mm-hmm. and December time frame, you had the update to the god level characters mm-hmm. and some changes the points there. Right. So what we have here is we have a battle scroll that introduces a new scoring mechanic. Mm-hmm. The idea of priority targets, targets that are more valuable if you destroy them, and prime hunters, you score more points if you are playing against things that have priority targets. Correct. The way that all this works is in this battle scroll, you have what is listed as priority targets and what is listed as prime hunters. If a battle tome were to be updated, <coughs> Night Haunt, between when this is out and, you know, when that book comes out, then those things get removed from the priority target or prime hunters list. Sure. Marathi Kane is one of the ones and the Bloodstalkers that will be coming up when that book comes out and mm-hmm. then Night Haunt will be coming out here. So the way that the scoring for this works is the units listed in the tables below gain the priority target keyword, as well as a reward value. Most of them are one. Each time an enemy priority target unit is destroyed and was not destroyed by a friendly priority target, so if you have two giants fighting each other, it's not worth anything. Oh, Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, giants are on here. The shocked. I'm shocked. Not destroyed by a priority target, you immediately gain the number of victory points on the reward value for that unit. If the destroyed priority target unit was reinforced, score one additional victory point for each unit that was reinforced. So, cool. for example, under order, there are fulminators. So, if there's a unit of two fulminators, I believe there are two right in a unit. Mm-hmm. So, if you have a unit of four that's reinforced, you destroy all four of them, you get two extra victory right, points. Right, you get the base one, and then you get an additional one for, for reinforcement. reinforcement. Now, exactly. Brendan, do you get, if they're reinforced twice, do you get two points? Yes, so you, so you so score you one three. additional point for each u- each time the unit was reinforced. Okay, great. So you could score three. It has the potential of so, that. So there's a fun ceiling here. We'll get into that yeah, in just yeah, a moment. Please. Then you have prime 
Prime Hunters. Some factions, sub-factions, army types are listed as Prime Hunters. If you command a Prime Hunter army, each time you score any victory points for a destroyed enemy priority target unit, you score one additional victory point. <laughs> those are typically your less powerful factions. If they're destroying those priority targets, they're getting more points. There's a give and take. So this is clearly an attempt at balancing beyond War Scroll changes and rules. This is a means of balancing within it. So let's go through what some of our priority targets are here. In order, you have Fulminators, Stormdrake Guards, Longstrikes. Dan, you'll be very happy to see this. Foxes, both named and unnamed. <laughs> yeah, that's great news. Bloodstalkers, Marathi Kane. Not that you're going to kill any of them, but it's cool that they're there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bastilodons with solar engines, specifically. Yeah. The snake ones. There's no thunder dice. lizards, yeah. Yep. There you go. Salamander hunting packs, and all those are worth one. In the destruction section, Mega Boss on Maw Crusher, War Stompers, both worth one. Gatebreaker and Kraken Eaters are worth two. Okay. In Chaos, you have Bellacore, Kairos, Pink Horrors. Or sorry, Horrors of Zinch if the unit included any Pink Horrors. So okay. Pink Horrors. And then Slaves of Darkness, Demon Prince, if it has the Mark of Corn. Those are all worth one. Your Prime Hunters are Sylvaneth. Gloomspite Gits, Bone Splitters, Heed Knights of Slanesh, Skaven, Night Haunt, and Bone Reapers. All right. Death doesn't have any priority targets. Okay. The example we used was Reinforced Unit of Fulminators. <clears throat> so I kill that. And I get one for the unit, one for the reinforcement. Yep. So I get two points. But if I'm a prime hunter... You would get a third point for, I get a for third having point. been a prime hunter. Okay. The way I read it is each time you score any number of victory points, so it doesn't matter if you scored four one or, two. or one, okay. you, you get one more. Okay. Understood. Yep. I just want to clarify that because it seemed like somebody would read that as, and then try to stack it. So but that's a very interesting thing. Let's talk about what your ceiling is here. Yeah. Stormdrake Guard are monsters. Mm-hmm. They're worth one point. Yep. You can reinforce them twice because they can become battle line, right. which puts you at three points. If you okay. kill all six of them, yeah. Yep, you kill all six of them. You also would get the point for being a monster, bring you to four. You can do it with a Prime Hunter's unit, bring it to five. Mm-hmm. You can make that your battle tactic to you know, bring it down, for instance, to bring that to seven. And you can do it with a monster in your own army to bring it to eight. Wow, that's crazy. Now you got to kill six dragons, you, nonetheless. you, you got to kill six dragons in one go. Yeah. And you have to do it with a Prime Hunter's army that has a monster mm-hmm. that can kill... You know, <laughs> Yeah, that has the capability of doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So one of the things that's interesting on here is the absence of Kragnos mm-hmm. in this list. Yeah. So you could take a Gloomspike Gitz or a Bone Splitters army, bring Kragnos in, because it's not units that have those keywords. It's if you're playing that faction. Right, right. And you are playing that faction, you just happen to have Kragnos. Mm-hmm. Crazy. So that's cool. From the death perspective, Flesh Eater Quartz probably should have gone on the Prime Hunters list here as well. Soul Blight didn't deserve to be on there, which I'm cool with. I'm a little surprised that Manfred's not on there, but, you know, whatever. Oh, as a target. Yeah, as a target. I think the right way to categorize the way I feel about this, I have two specific states of mind. The first one is, is I'm furious that this came out when it did right before Adepticon, Mm. because this is a set of non-obvious, complicated rules that there is going to be a non-zero percentage of the persons in attendance who don't even know this rule exists. Mm-hmm. We sent out a blast email to all of the attendees saying, you know, hey, here's the link to this. This is going to be in play. I don't like the addition of layered rules like this. Professionally, this is one of the things that we try and educate young engineers out of early. The 
best way to fix a system is to not create additional layers of paperwork. It's great. They know some of the things that are wrong here from, you know, armies that aren't cutting it to specific units that are problems. Mm -hmm. The fix to that is not a eight and a half by 11 piece of paper that says, hey, more points, hey, more points, hey, more points that you have Mm. to keep track of and your opponent has to be aware of and you have to understand all the permutations of it and, you know, when a book got updated and when the new War Scrolls came around so that it invalidates this, but this is different. And well, so that's not worth that anymore, but you did this with that and... No. And Brendan, I absolutely agree with you from that perspective because this game already has keeping track of stuff with counters and looking at this and moving that and putting dice somewhere to record wounds. And we got all these other little things we have to do to keep track of stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, now we have disease points. You know, if you're a Nurgle player, you got to keep track of that on everybody's units. And so now what you're saying is we're adding one more level of complexity for everybody. Yeah. Because every- it's one thing if the Nurgle player has the layers of things that they have to keep track of. Mm-hmm. I don't mind stuff like that because the onus okay. is being placed on the player who has that army. It's part of your book. You picked it up. You took the responsibility of saying, I'm going to be doing this. And as a result, I have to make sure that I have the ability to track this. This is an onus on every player to understand what everything is as a priority target and a prime hunter in relationship to book releases that they might not care about and War Scroll updates, things like sure. that. They've already gone the step of understanding the problem. That's a positive thing. Yeah, that's good. So I like that. I like that they're trying something to address it. But if you know what the problem is and your solution is just more layers, anybody can do that. It is the mark of genius to simplify things, to make it less complex, to take a complex structure and distill it down into its most simple form. And that can be things that are still complicated, but that there is no more simplicity to be gained out of it. Well, I think about what happened with our Beastmen. You know, that was a pretty easy solution when you think about it, giving everything rent, Mm -hmm. you know, adding rent to everything. That's pretty easy to keep track of. There's nothing difficult about that. But it made this huge difference in the effectiveness of that particular faction. Correct. But it was a simple change. And in a couple of these instances, particularly the ones, the Grand Alliance Chaos is the one that jumps out to me. Mm. Those units are problems in Legion of the First Prince, specifically. In combination together, specifically, that's the problem. Mm. Okay, cool. It just means that that list, which included all of those things that you were summoning or that you were including in your list base, Mm -hmm. becomes unpalatable. Fine, it changes the direction. But you know that it's that sub-faction that lets you do that. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. The core is not these war scrolls. The core is what lets you get there. If you change what lets you get there, it's done. It's the fundamental rules of the faction is what you're saying. Okay. You know, things like Fulminators, you know, they're good in Stormcast lists. They're great in Cities lists. Mm -hmm. the, The problem isn't necessarily Fulminators. The problem is Fulminators in a book that they don't belong to. You know, it's Living City specifically, where they can come off the board edge, they shoot. After they shoot, they get to move their 12 inches, and now they're three inches away. Hey, the core of your problem isn't Fulminators. The core of your problem is that you are allowed to move closer afterwards. The rule is strike and then melt away. You should have to end at least the same distance or further. This doesn't come to the core of the problems. The corrective action search on what your root cause is is in many cases not specifically the unit. There is something in there that makes it that. Okay. And this extra layer, I think, is the wrong thing. Okay. We're going to find out real soon how it's going to play out. Sure. 
because uh, there's going to be a lot of games played this coming week. Uh, yeah, a few. <laughs> yeah. A couple. So we'll find out. All right. Well, thanks for that. It's good perspective and not just talking about what it is, but how it affects the game. And, yeah. And if you want to watch somebody lose their absolute ever-living mind over this, go watch the Warhammer Weekly from this week where Vince has, <laughs> my opinion compared to his, is mild. Uh, <laughs> okay involved and engaged and passionate fan base where you know you can say like look we're not doing this or you know maybe i take something like you know this battle scroll and say here are the changes i'm making to it okay you know an event where you can say here are the changes i'm making to your war scroll and this is how this works and if you want to play in my event that's what it takes but that's something that you have to communicate very early on again part of my frustration as the adepticon to was this is 10 days out right and you can say, well, change your rules cut off, and I'll tell you that it wasn't under my control. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to get into that here. It's beyond frustrating. Right. All right, man. You know, let's take a break. Let's talk about something that I think a lot of folks are looking forward to here in talking about Fire Slayers. Yep. A book that I do have some more positivity towards than I do the Battle <laughs> Scroll. And, and the preview on it for me is I think this has a really high player skill ceiling. We'll be right back then with Fire Slayers. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? We are going to start as we always have. It's been a while, Brendan, since we've done a battle tome, actually. I think, what, Megakin? Yeah, back in December. So (laughs) it seems like a long time, It felt like a long time. (laughs) Yeah. Allegiance abilities, we've got lodges to start, and we're going to talk about those, obviously, in detail. There are four of them. But the first one to really go into detail is Fierce Counterattack, and this one's really interesting. Yeah, so this is a... Rule formerly locked behind a lodge, basically, mm-hmm. and modified for you know, the current game state. You can use this command ability at the start of the enemy combat phase. The unit that receives the command must be a Orc Hearthguard, Hearthguard Berserker, or Volkite Berserker's unit that is within three inches of an enemy unit that made a charge move in the same turn and not within three inches of an enemy unit that have not made a charge move in the same turn. If you are already engaged with someone Mm -hmm. and someone else charges you from another side, you can't use this. Correct. Okay. So if you multi-charge that unit, they can still use this because they're not within three inches of a unit that did not make a charge move. Correct. Okay, got it. So you need something that's already there. Could you use it against all three units, a three units charge? So it, it has nothing to do with the unit that charged. Okay. So your unit has to be in range. Okay. Within three inches of only units that charged. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. All right. And if you do so, you gain the strike first effect to that unit until the end of that phase, and the unit cannot receive this command more than once per battle. So three units charge you, you could strike first against all three. As long as there is not a fourth that, it's already in that you were with within you. three of that did not charge. Got it. Perfect. All right. right. Cool. So, and it's not against the unit that charged. You are giving your unit the strike first ability. Nice. That's a great. It's neat. Great, yeah. It's situational. There are ways to play around it as an opponent as well. It puts you in a risk position to be able to do it, but you can do it. Okay. And then yeah. the next thing we have, Dan, is Grimwrath Oaths. This applies to Grimwrath Berserkers only. 
Correct. So that one single model, yep. hero. Yep. And we've got several Grimwrath Oaths, and it's at the start of the first battle round. You can pick one of the following Oaths for each friendly Grimwrath Berserker. So if you have one, you pick one. You have four. For some unbeknownst reason, you can pick four. Right. The rule for that Oath applies until the end of the battle. If your army includes more than one, you cannot pick the same Oath from more than once. So each individual Berserker would be given a specific Oath, mm-hmm. is the way this works. Exactly. Yeah. And we have have six of them some are better than others but we'll talk about all of them yeah so why don't you talk about the first one i will cut down the priests of grimnir's enemies if the target <laughs> is a priest that does not have the fire slayers keyword add one to hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made by this unit and add one to the damage inflicted by each of those attacks that is successful okay so here's the thing that I really like about the oaths is that you don't pick them at roster construction you pick them based on what's going on in the battle because if it was you had to pick it roster construction i'd tell you don't take this one. It's cool. It's nice. It's good. There's a couple of units that you can use it against that it's really useful and a couple of armies that it's really useful. But against the overwhelming majority of the things that you're going to fight, it does nothing. Mm-hmm. So situational, in that situation, it's good. But there are three in here that I really like. Okay. You're going to tell me when we talk about one you like. Yeah. I'll guard them with my life is the second one. This it's- is one I like. Okay. Instead of picking one friendly... Arik Hearthguard or Hearthguard Berserker's unit on the battlefield to be the retinue of a rune father or rune son, you can pick this unit to be that unit's retinue. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like this one is sometimes you're not going to have enough units to do the retinue work. Mm-hmm. This allows you a couple more ablative wounds that you can port over to a character that you're trying to keep around. So this is for rune fathers and rune sons on foot. Next up is I Will Let Nothing Stand in My Way, and this one is my favorite. Okay. This unit can run and still charge later in the turn. In addition, you can reroll run rolls and charge rolls for this unit. Mm. You basically create this like little murder dart that is the Grimwrath Berserker. <laughs> sure. <laughs> murder dart. I will prove Grimnir's might to our allies. Add one to hit and wound rolls for attacks made by this unit if it's within 12 inches of any friendly allied units on the fence with this one because it means that you have to take allies there Mm -hmm. are a couple of things in here that make that a interesting and palatable idea okay because you know when you're talking about allies for this book it's largely obviously stormcast but then you can take cities and ko you know so you could take ko right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so there there are some things that we'll talk about the traits and stuff that give you that opportunity where they count as Fire Slayers units, and there are some benefits that go along with that that I think are potentially very interesting. Okay, Coolio. I will not be stopped is the next one. This unit has a ward of six up. If this unit is within three inches of any enemy units, it has a five up ward instead. So this is one of the other three that I really like. Yep. It's You're getting a good benefit for doing the thing that you want to be doing anyways. So do that thing. Yeah, there you go. And then the last one. I will strike hard and true in Grimnir's name. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by this unit is a six, that attack causes one mortal wound in addition to any damage inflicts. Okay. Fine. On a six? Not fine. Whatever. If you've got a bunch of them, that's probably one that one of the Fire Slayers, Berserkers, is going to be taking, but... Overall, I don't think that's one of the ones that you're jumping to right away. So your favorite is run and charge? Yes, and re-roll, and re-roll the, run the and runs charge. and charge. Nice. It helps you and lets you do one of the things that you want to be doing anyways. Second place is probably the I will not be stopped. That's the one I like the best, yeah, because mm-hmm. I'm always about that protection and getting a better save. So that's great. Yeah. Coolio. So then next up is you've got the Urgold runes. So you yes. have 
six runes, which is good because you can only use them you know, once per battle. Mm-hmm. At the start of your hero phase, you can activate one of the following six types of Urgold runes. To do so, state which rune will be activated and make an activation roll. By rolling a dice, on a one through five, the standard effect applies. On a six, the enhanced effect also applies. So on a six, you get the standard and the enhanced. The effect lasts until the start of your next hero phase. Each Urgold rune can only be activated once per battle, and no more than one rune can be activated at the same time. Once you've used a rune, you can choose a new one to activate in your next turn, but you cannot activate the same one again. So if it was not clear, you can only do each rune once, except in a very specific case where you can do it again. But that's not the point. Right. And you've got six to choose from. Mm-hmm. And in a full game, you'll have five battle rounds to, to use. pick. Yeah. Yep. Uh, first one is Rune of Fury. The standard effect is add one to hit rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly fire slayer units. The enhanced effect is add one to attack characteristics. So you're going to be adding one to hit rolls and attack rolls. If you roll the six right. on Rune of Fury. Yep. This is one of the things that is really cool is when you activate it, you always get the rule. Mm-hmm. And there's the chance that you're going to get the extra bit. Perfect. So on average, you're roughly one. You can reasonably expect once per battle to get one of the enhanced ones. You don't know which one it's going to be. This is a mechanic where I think the player's ceiling is really important, is activating Mm. the runes at the right time. Sure. Because, like, yeah, it'd be great if you get all enhanced effects for all of them all the time. Obviously, that would be great. (laughs) It'd be out of control. It's nuts, yeah. But that's not going to happen. You have to plan to the standard and then hope for the enhanced to to really tip over your And they take advantage of it when it happens. Exactly. Yeah. So you've got the Rune of Farsight, Add one to hit rolls for attacks made with the fire steel throwing axes by friendly fire slayer units. And the enhanced effects is add one to wound rolls for attacks made with fire steel throwing axes by friendly fire slayer units. So you're adding one to hit and, and wound, wound rolls. In the, in okay. the enhanced effect. Correct. Perfect. Whatever. Uh, yeah. Right. You'll see the profile. It's basically one attack per fours and fours. It's okay. fine. It's extra. Okay. So this applies to every unit in your army that's on the board. Okay. That, yeah, right. That has the requirement of being keyworded Fire Slayer. Okay. The next one is Rune of Searing Heat. The standard effect is if the unmodified wound roll for an attack made by a friendly Fire Slayer's unit is six, that attack causes one mortal wound to the target in addition. The enhanced effect is when the rune is activated, roll a die for each enemy unit within three inches of any friendly Fire Slayer's unit. On a two-up, that unit suffers one mortal wound. An enhanced effect that I don't care about. Yeah. The standard is great. The Rune of Awakened Steel, standard effect, improve the Ren characteristics of melee weapons used by friendly Fire Slayer units by one. Enhanced effects, improve the Ren characteristics of melee weapons used by friendly Fire Slayer units by a further one. <laughs> okay, there you go. For one turn, you can add two to your rend if you roll the six. We yeah. saw how good that was with Beasts of Chaos. Oh, yes. Yeah. So <laughs> This just lasts one turn. Mm-hmm. Pretty good stuff. All right. And it's important to remember that these are from the start of your hero phase to the start of your next hero phase. So some of these, it's going to be important to try and position yourself to be using them with the threat of a double turn. Right. So that you have it active for potentially as many as three player turns. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Right, okay. yours, theirs, theirs again. And then if you get the turn, right. Right. There are some of these where your opponent's going to look at, for instance, the additional rend. If you have the enhanced effects, great. There's going to be times and situations where your opponent looks at that and goes, oh, I don't want that fight right now. Okay. <laughs> They're maybe hoping to win the priority roll to give it to you so that you don't have, you know the extra rend or potentially the plus one to hit and and the extra attacks, right. 
It's all about timing and position and knowing the right time and place to use all these things. It's not just about what your opponent is, but where you are in the game state and what you're going to need in different times and places. Okay. The next one is Rune of Fiery Determination. Friendly Fire Slayer units have a ward of six up. Cool. Standard. Anywhere on the board. Any unit. Any, yeah. Yep. And then the enhanced is a a ward of five up. Wow. For heroes specifically. Yep. Heroes. Only heroes. Mm -hmm. Yep. For the enhanced effect. Correct. Right. Neat. Can't hate that. Yeah, that one's not bad. The Rune of Relentless Zeal. Standard effect, add two inches of the move characteristics of friendly Fire Slayer units, and the enhanced effects add two to the charge rolls for friendly Fire Slayer units. Mm, There you go. That one's not too bad, either in the very early game state or the very late game state, where you're either trying to get to a certain place and dictate the fight being there, or in the late game state, if you're trying to go scramble for objectives and, and get a win out. So, that would be helpful for your Grimwrath Berserker if he had, I will let nothing stand in my way. Correct. <laughs> that would be really frightening, actually. That would be actually. very good. <laughs> he'd, he'd go from being a dart to being a bullet. <laughs> yeah. So, good stuff. All right, that's great. Yeah, like you said, it's all about timing. That's it. Yep. But you got to know the rule first <laughs> and then understand that how the timing's going to affect the game. It's instrumental. This is going to be one of the most difficult things to master for a lot of Fire Slayer players mm. is, is situational awareness, right? So if you're an American football fan, they talk about situational football a lot where you have a specific set of players on the field that have a specific set of talents aligned against another set of players who have a very specific set of talents. And normally you're trying to run your offense in a, in a very specific way. But based on the situation that you're in, mm-hmm. you know, third and three with this package out versus this kind of package defense, mm-hmm. you have to make different decisions. Right. So your plan might normally be you know, to do these runes in this order, but you have to understand about where you are, what you have, where you are in the round, where the round can end up, what your opponent has, and those kinds of things, and making the measured decision on what to do. It's almost like you need a matrix to fill out. Just <laughs> a little bit. And this is one of those things that's going to be experiential-based, where mm-hmm. you know, only once you've gotten so many games in are you going to really be a true master of mm-hmm. knowing which runes to hit and when. Uh, let's talk about the new heroic action, which is Blaze of Fury. It's a cool one. Yeah, at the start of your hero phase, you can carry out this heroic action with a friendly fire slayer as hero instead of any other heroic action you can carry out with that hero. It's called Blaze of Fury. You pick one friendly fire slayer hero until the end of your turn. The enhanced effect of the Urgold rune that is activated in this hero phase applies to that hero regardless of the activation roll. Wow, that's great. You cannot carry out this heroic action with the same hero. More than once in the same battle. So once per battle. Once per battle per hero, and then you can only trigger it in your hero phase, Mm -hmm. uh, which is an important distinction because there would definitely be some times where I would want to trigger it in my opponent's hero phase, but obviously Mm -hmm. you can't do that. This is something designed to get you in a place offensively where you want to get the most out of it. So, right, the Rune of Fury comes to mind with a guy on Magma Droth where you're going to be getting Mm -hmm. plus one to hit and the extra attacks. I think that's pretty key. Okay. Or you have a hero in a spot and you have to leave him in there and taking the rune of fiery determination or you just want to add two rend to whatever it is that your character's doing. Well, this is another one, as with the runes, that timing, because you can only use it on the same hero once a battle. Correct. And if you've got four heroes, then you need to decide when to use this one specifically and coordinate that with the use of your runes. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, just one more thing to add into that matrix of decision making. And to your point, it's based on experience. Yep. Okay, and practice. Well, let's move on to command traits. We're going to do the now named enhancement section. Yeah. There you go. And we're only going to pick one for each of these. I mean, there's three on some of them. There's four. Usually we pick one out of three. So that's just or what two we're out of do. six. But yeah. we don't know what to do with this four number. Yeah. So Never just, seen it before. We're just going with one this time. And if you want more than that, let us know. All right. <laughs> so the first one is Inheritance of Grimnir. An Arc Rune Father or a Rune Son. And Keyworded. So Keyword. This, so this applies to, to Magma Droth guys as well as guys on Exactly. Front. Okay, perfect. The choices here, what do you got for your first choice here? Well, so we only have one. Right. And there are two that I really like. And I'll give you the one that I don't think you're going to pick because I think you're going to pick the other one. So we'll talk about both here. Okay. Um, The one I like is the reader of the Duard Rizal. If this general is on the battlefield, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Duard and allied units are treated as if they have the Fire Slayer's keyword for the purposes of the Urgold's rune trade. And the thing that jumps to mind are Iron Drakes. Okay. Absolutely. I know a lot of these things are melee oriented mm-hmm. and that's all well and good. You have things that give you a ward of a six up. When you look at things for combat, you're talking about Caradron Overlords. Mm-hmm. Those are pretty slick. I know the Bubble Boys are a little overpriced, but can you tell me that they're a little overpriced when you've got an extra Rend, you know, sitting on them? Oh, sure. You know, you've got, you know, the plus one to hit triggering automatically. This benefits largely the combat allied Duarden, though, right? The okay. the range stuff, you know, Iron Drakes. But you have, like, hammers. You have things like that that are little beefy boys mm-hmm. that let you get going. I like that. It provides an interesting layer. It's going to drive some different lists, I think, based on some units that maybe would really like to have that little bit of extra play. But I think you're more likely to see the other one, Dan, which I'm expecting you to pick. And if it's not, then I'll talk about it. <laughs> okay, the next one. Oh, God, now I feel under pressure. All the pressure, Dan. Yeah, because this isn't the one I picked. I picked Spirit of Grimnir. Yes. Okay, okay. good. Ooh, right. Oh, so, pressure off. Okay. Yep. So the Spirit of Grimnir, if this general's on the battlefield, when you make an activation roll for the purposes of the Urgold Runes battle trait, the enhanced effect applies on a five up instead of a six. So it moves from a 16.67% wow. chance to a 33. You doubled your chance. Right. Before, where you're talking about maybe once per battle you're going to get mm-hmm. one of them, you are now likely to get one, and then you are most likely to have a second one. One of the one of the most important aspects of competitive play in this game is the reduction and elimination of variation. This reduces your variation sizably. Absolutely. So, yep. That's a good one that I really like. And I picked that one just because Urgol runes are just such a fundamental mechanic in this army. Mm-hmm. And to do anything to enhance that is incredibly powerful. Now that command trait squares off against another one that I think is going to be competing for your attention. Okay. So when you jump over to the Magmic Empowerments, which are for keyworded Fire Slayer Priests only. Priests, right. Priest, yep. Fire Slayer Priests, the enhancement that I think that you are going to be finding yourself most in contention with is the Master Priest. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Once per battle at the start of your hero phase, if this general is on the battlefield, you can activate one Urgold rune that has already been activated using the Urgold rune's battle trait instead of one that has not yet been activated. Absolutely. I think between those two, where Master Priest opens up your toolbox wider and Spirit of Grimnir makes you a better expert of using those tools, mm-hmm. I think that those are the two that you're really going to see a lot. And I picked the same one, the Master Priest, for the same reason I picked Spirit of Grimnir. It allows you to manipulate that fundamental mechanic of your army. These are great command traits that you're going to want to be taking. Both of these kinds of heroes can end up on Magma Droths as well. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for a little bit of extra durability, you can take them on foot. There are ways to be durable on foot. I know general on foot heroes are usually kind of a scary endeavor <laughs> but there are sub factions and other rules that you can take that can help protect these kinds of characters sure all right let's go to artifacts. to artifacts here we got heirlooms of the lodge which is Arik rune fathers and Arik rune sons only again but they are keyworded mm-hmm. uh, that way what did you pick for your your choice here I like the magnetized runes. Add two to the charge rolls made for the bearer. I really like this idea of it being on a rune sun on Magma Droth. Just be a little bit more reliable. That's a character that wants to be in combat. Mm -hmm. And for what they are and what they do, are actually pretty good. You know, they're not your most killy thing in the game, but in terms of the selections you have, you could do a lot worse. What about you? I like Master of the Unbreakable Resolve. Okay, that's an interesting one, yeah. Once per battle at the start of the phase, and it is once per battle. You know, that's another thing. Those three words show up a lot in this book. They've been showing (laughs) up a lot in the new books. Yeah, I thought it, I don't know why, probably because it's been so long since we did a battle tome, but I just kept seeing it again and again, and I'm like, wow, okay, that's the standard you know, for a lot of these things now. So anyway, once per battle at the start of the phase, you can say that the bearer will use their master rune. If you do so, the bearer has a ward of three up until the end of that phase. This would apply to your saying, you know, if you have somebody on a magma droth, for example, mm-hmm. you've just given that unit a three up ward save. Wow. And and it's not phase specific. So, yep. so this is one of those great things that if your opponent takes a bring it down, slay the warlord, those kinds of things that's hero dependent, you can just say, I'm going to make sure that I pick the phase in which they are most likely to do the most damage to trigger this ability. Mm -hmm. And remember, Warhammer is a game of disclosure, so, you know, when they ask what your artifacts do, you know, do it in full clarity. But once you've shared that with them and they know what it is, it's... Yeah, or, you know, and this would apply, you know, all of a sudden there's a bunch of elves shooting at me where I've got a bazillion blood sisters shooting at me, or I'm just thinking of that kind of thing, or long strike shooting, or who knows what else. Fulminators have charged me. Mm-hmm. Something where I think my unit is going to die. That three-up ward is so powerful. Yep, and you don't have to declare it until that phase. Right, which and is... it can be your phase, their phase, doesn't matter, mm-hmm. which is really nice to your point. It can be any time. It's a good so, one. So I like that one. All right. Artifacts of the Forge Temple, Dan. Fire Slayer, Priest only. What do you got? I, I don't know. I, There's two I like here. I'm always a little bit hesitant. I mean, I just, you know, pick a once per battle one. But the ones here are really good. Mm -hmm. I really like the Volatile Brazier. When the bearer attempts to summon an invocation, so this is a priest, you can re-roll chanting rolls for the bearer, which is really good. And you double the range of the prayer. If you're going to go priest... I think this one really enhances a priest's ability to do what they're there to do. Mm -hmm. Now, it's specifically an invocation. Yes. Yep. You have to have paid for that as well as taking this artifact. Correct. So it's endless spells. Right. You're pairing out a couple of things. Essentially. But 
you know, their invocations have some very specific roles that they play that, yep. that this kind of pairing would make yeah, sense. So that, to me, that would make sense if you're going to do that. So I like this one. I'll pick another one for the sake of, you know, talking yeah. about what it is that we're doing. Sure. The Droth Helm is one that I like as well. This sure. makes sense in a Magma Droth heavy list. Sure. Obviously. Uh, add one to wound rolls for attacks made with the claws and horns by friendly Magma Droth units wholly within 12 inches of the bear. Yeah. If you're building a specific way, this is an artifact that makes sense. I was just thinking with this one, it would be really cool. And there's a, a couple of other things in here. If you want to do something very kind of narrative, even in a competitive way that you do, and there's a lodge that we'll talk about where you go Magma Droth heavy, you mm-hmm. know, and you could have that Magma, Magma Droth priest within 12 inches of a couple of others. And thinking about it, all three of them would get this. You know, that, that would be a pretty cool way to right. enhance your big... And there's a sub-fact that lets you... Your fiery lizards. Yeah, that <laughs> where you want to be playing Magma Drops. And we'll talk about that mm-hmm. one, yeah. So how about Relics of the Furred? This is heroes. Yep. These are interesting, right? Because, you know, there aren't there are things that are not Rune Fathers, Rune Sons, and not Priests. Yep. There's the overwhelming majority of what we're going <laughs> yeah. to talk about is going to be heroes. Yes. Oh, yeah, it's like three to one almost. Classic yeah. corn book. <laughs> the, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I'm a big fan of the Nulsidian Icon artifact, so this can only be given to a Battlesmith. Each time a friendly Fire Slayer's unit wholly within 12 inches of the bear is affected by a spell or an endless spell, on a 4-up you ignore the effects of that spell or endless spell. Yeah. It's situational, but some of the things that, that do a fair bit of damage in this game come through the hero phase. Now the majority of it right now is shooting, so I understand that. Mm-hmm. You want your units crowded around a Battlesmith anyways. Yeah, this is already enhancing uh, something that you're already going to be doing as a player. I picked this one as well because of the usefulness of a Battlesmith. Mm-hmm. When I look at that War Scroll, it's so utilitarian in this army. It does some really cool things. And again, if you can add some resilience with this, and it's not once per battle, which is nice. Yeah. That's why I would pick this as well. Because, I mean, it seems sometimes that that four up, you know, ignore the effect of that spell or endless spell. It seems like it's pretty common, but it really isn't. I mean, you don't see that very often. A lot of your really, really big heroes in the game have that as one of their specific rules. So to be able to give this to a specific unit is pretty powerful, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, especially with magic flying all over the place. All right, that one is done. We have scriptures or blessings. So this is for priests again. What do you think? I'm a big fan of the Prayer of Ash. This is a prayer that has an answer value of a four and a range of 18 inches. Mm-hmm. If answered, pick one friendly Fire Slayer's unit wholly within range and visible to the Chanter. Subtract one from wound rolls for attacks that target that unit until the start of your next hero phase. Mm-hmm. Wound okay. rolls are always an important one to modify. We've discussed at length. It's one of the least easily positively modifiable characteristics in the game, and it is also subject to a yes. roll even prior to that one, which is dependent on variation in and of itself. This is their version of Shade Mist, basically. Yeah. <laughs> what it is when I was looking at that. Yeah, I like Prayer of Grimnir's Fury. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking of that Grimwrath Berserker specifically. Okay. That you could use this. So the Prayer of Grim- Grimnir's Fury is a prayer that has an answer value of three, very doable in a range of 12. If answered, pick one friendly Fire Slayer's hero that does not have a mount, and you probably aren't going to... Your- Berserker isn't going to have a mount that's within range and within three inches of an enemy unit, that hero can fight. So you're talking about out-of-phase attacks. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of unit to me that would want to be pounding as often 
as possible. I'm glad that they included the not having a mount yes. uh, because there are definitely the Rune Sons, one of them, the Forge Fathers mm-hmm. are pretty punchy. Yeah, they got some real punch to them. <laughs> so yeah, I like that one. Okay. So and then mount traits, Dan. <sighs> okay. Fire Slayers, Magma Droth, Heroes. Yeah. Really one that I think is kind of stand out above some of the others. Okay. There's another one that I would take, but... All right. I'm taking Flamescale Youngblood. Okay. That's the one I like. If you carry out a stop monstrous rampage, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. With this unit and the enemy you picked suffers any mortal wounds, that enemy unit suffers three additional mortal wounds. So you're talking about D3 plus three mortals. Mm-hmm. For a stomp. Yeah, so minimum four, maximum yeah. six. Nice. It's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. I'm, I'm a sure. fan of the Coalheart Ancients. Mm. If this unit is the target of an attack made with a melee weapon, subtract one from the damage characteristic yeah. of that weapon to a minimum of one. Nice. So this is a character then that you'd be throwing into what is normally a potentially very punchy, high damage unit and just saying, hey, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. There's a reason that Thunder Lizards are doing so well in the game currently. Mm. Is Now, granted, Thunder Lizards reduce the damage of everything by one, mm-hmm. but most of the things that are damage two or higher are combat-oriented. The things mm-hmm. that are really kicking your butt at range mostly are mortal wounds and also damage one. Sure. Agreed. So that's it for enhancements, right? I think that's it, yep. Yep. Let's roll over to Lodges, and then we'll take a little break. Okay. I only want to do one. I only have Lofnir that I want to talk about. So let's just start with Vostarg. Why don't you get us into that one? Yeah, so Vostarg, these are the quote-unquote main faction of the right. book, right? So anything that's named is going to be, you know, Vostarg. Okay. Fearsome Surge, add one to hit rolls and wound rolls for attacks made with melee weapons by friendly Vostarg Volkite Berserker units that made a charge move in the same turn. These are your base battle lines guys so you get plus one to hit and plus one to wound if they charged yeah pretty good that's fine the things that i think the large percentage of what your army is going to be based on hearthguard berserkers is usually what it is and the heroes in and around them this is interesting i don't have a lot of love for it it's fine the next one is grayford Mm -hmm. add one to the wound characteristics of friendly grayford heroes that do not have a mount in addition you can pick two additional artifacts of power and give them to two grayford heroes in your army that did not have a mount it's two i really like two free artifacts man (laughs) that's awesome because of the limit on artifacts yeah that you have so you're improving your durability of all of your foot characters and you're getting extra artifacts without having to worry about the battalion requirements of you know generating extra artifacts so this would be a prime sub faction if you're looking to go one drop okay yeah that's just really good i love that one how about the next one then so Hermdar, in addition to the rule that it's going to give you, makes the Arc Hearthguard uh, battle line, which are your wow. shooting Hearthguard guys. The, yeah. yeah. If a friendly Hermdar unit wholly within enemy territory or wholly within 12-inch objective fails a battle shock test, have the number of models that flee rounding up. Sure. Cool. That's useful. Your guys are expensive. You know, they are... At minimum, two wounds apiece. It's a low model count army, so... Generally, yes. Now, you can unlock Hearthguard as Battleline also if you have a Fire Slayer Priest. You you can do it that way, but this isn't bad. I'm a fan of Greyfeard, and then also the one that you're going to talk about here. Okay, which is Lafnir. Mm -hmm. So this one is based on Volcatrix, who's the goddess of dragons, as it were. You add two to wounds characteristics of friendly Lafnir Magmadroth units. So that goes from 16 to 18, I believe, for them. I think they've got 16 base. 
In addition, up to three Magma Droth units in your army can be given different mount traits, which is cool. You can pick one of the traits because there are three for each of three different Magma Droths. Mm. Nice. You can use them all. Yep. So yeah. you get the two that you really want, and then the third one, which you didn't talk <laughs> about, which, whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I, again, this is where... You know, if you're going to go Magma Droth heavy, you know, go ahead, take five. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. And you could. I think you could fit five in because they're about 300, 350 apiece. Right. Roughly. So the thing that comes around it that's really cool with this is the Auric Rune Sun on Magma Droth becomes battle line in a Lofnir army. So you could, if you wanted to, run only Magma Droths. Mm-hmm. And that's a totally legal, legitimate way to yeah. play. And I, I'm just thinking from a story perspective and narrative perspective, that's pretty cool. Don't know how it would do on the battlefield, but man, it it just sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. And you, every one of them is going to have 18 wounds, so not bad. Yeah, a few, you know, just a... Uh, yeah, just a few with a four-up save. Yeah. And maybe a six-up or five-up ward, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so yeah. that's it. Let's we'll take, take a, a break. short break. Yeah, and we're going to talk about our heroes. All right, which well, is the majority of this battle tome. <laughs> yeah, here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. Brendan, we are thrown in here with our heroes, mm-hmm. and we are going to start with the Rune Father and the Rune Son on a Magma Troth. Now, a lot of the rules are the same here, so we're not going to repeat rules once we explain them for one. We'll just tell you that the other one has it, Yep. because the Fire Stream and the Tail and the Blood are pretty much the same. And then the both. Throwing Axes is universal across the army, except for a couple of characters and a right. couple of units. Just a little bit different. Yep. Why don't you talk to us about the Rune Father? So the Rune Father is movement 12, which is on a table, goes down from 12 to 8. 4-up save, bravery 8, 16 wounds. Your throwing axes are range 8, 1 attack, 4s by 4s, rend 1, damage (laughs) 1. This is like what we were talking about with the rune itself. There's not a ton of value in increasing the viability of that. Because on your heroes, it doesn't do a lot. But, you know, like when you've got a unit of 20-something, then it does a little bit more. But it's not what you're gambling on. Sure. Uh, they have the Roaring Fire Stream, which is range 9 inches. Mm-hmm. The attacks is generated in a special way. So the attacks characteristic of a Roaring Fire Stream is equal to the number of models in the target unit to a maximum attacks characteristics of 10. Mm-hmm. In addition, at the end of your shooting phase, if this unit did not make an attack with its Roaring Fire Stream in that phase, you can say that an Inferno is raging inside this unit. If an Inferno is raging inside this unit, improve the rend characteristics of its Roaring Fire Stream by 2 which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. After the next attack made with this unit's Roaring Fire Stream has been resolved, and Inferno is no longer raging inside this unit, it's a hit roll of a 2-up down to a 5-up, wounds on 3, rend 1 base, damage 1. If it's got the Inferno going, it's rend 3. Mm-hmm. It's a short range, so there's definitely going to be times where you generate Inferno damage. Sure. Obviously, it's based on number of models in the unit being attacked, so if you're 5 or less, your chances of really doing a lot of damage with this... Okay, Mm -hmm. fine. So then the father himself is armed with the Latchkey Grand Axe, Mm -hmm. which is three-inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage three. Yeah, nice. The Blazing Maw, one-inch range, three attacks, fours by twos, rend two, damage D3. You have the Claws and Horns, which is the profile that benefits from the Droth Helm we talked about a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. Six attacks down to three. Threes by threes, rend one, damage two. So the Droth Helm could make that twos to wound. And then obviously you can Titanic Duel and stuff like that. Then with your Lashing Tail, at the end of the combat phase, you roll a dice for each enemy within three inches of this unit. 
If the roll is equal to or less than the number of models in that enemy unit, it suffers D3 mortal wounds. Neat has volcanic blood. You roll a dice each time a wound caused by an attack made with a melee weapon is allocated to this unit. On a four up, the attacking unit suffers one mortal wound back. And then he has the Lord of the Lodge command ability. Once per battle at the start of your combat phase, you can pick one friendly unit on the battlefield with this ability to unleash the Wrath of Grimnir. If you do so until the end of that phase... Oh, no, sorry. This isn't a command ability at all. It's just an ability. Yeah, once per battle. Yeah. Anywhere on the battlefield, which is really nice. Sorry. You can pick one friendly unit on the battlefield with this ability to unleash the Wrath of Grimnir. If you do so until the end of that phase, add one to the attack's characteristic of melee weapons used by friendly Fire Slayer units while they are wholly within 12 inches of that unit. Yeah. Nice. Mm, That's a good one. That's a really nice one. Yeah, it is. Just a straight raw ability. Boom. Awesome. Yeah. You know, not bad, right? That's the core foundation of what it is that you're going to be talking about. You know, kind of your ceiling, your most quote-unquote powerful character at mm-hmm. 360 points. And it's 16 wounds with a four-up save. Okay, mm-hmm. good movement. I mean, 12 yeah. inches, they're fast. Your damage isn't very high no. on him, but in the right combat, you can do all right. Because remember, you have to keep in mind what the runes are doing. So there's situations where it becomes Ren 2 and Ren 3, you know, across the profile. It sure. automatically has the pluses to hit. You can be sitting there with a ward save. You could be Lofnir, right? Like, it's not just the war scroll. It's the context of what it is at large. And when you consider some of those things, it becomes, uh, you know... Not bad. Mm-hmm. Not bad. So we have the Rune Sun. We start off with a little bit different weapon here. Yeah. We have the Worm Slayer Javelin, which is a 12-inch, and it, again, 16 wounds, 4-up save, 8 bravery, moves 12 down to 8. A 12-inch range on the Javelin, 1 attack, 4 by 3s, minus 2 rend, D3 damage. And then we have the Throwing Axe and the Fire Stream, same as with the Rune Father. Mm-hmm. No difference there. And then we have, for melee weapons, you get a choice, right, of either the Javelin or the war axe. We talked about the javelin throwing, but the javelin in close combat is two inches, three attacks, four by threes, minus two D3. Or you can take the war axe, which is five attacks. It's only one inch range, but it's three by threes, minus one, and then two damage. That's which is that's quite good. Yeah. I think I would make that choice. Blazing Maw is the same, and horns and claws are the same as they were. Lashing Tail is the same. Volcanic Blood is the same. The rule that is unique here is Vying for Glory. If the unmodified hit roll for an attack made by this unit that targets a monster is six, that attack causes the number of mortal wounds to the target equal to the weapon's damage characteristic, and the attack sequence ends. This ability has no effect on attacks made by this unit's mount. Yeah, that's fine. So the Auric Rune Sun on Magma Droth is 320 points, so mm-hmm. you get him at a little bit of a discount. Got some real solid damage potential there. You know, it's kind of in the similar vein to what the Rune Father does, right? The Grand Axe is only four attacks with a longer range, threes and threes, rend one, three damage versus five attacks at, at one inch range, threes and threes, rend one, two damage. The Javelin is kind of whatever from yeah. my perspective. Yeah, yeah, because you still got two shooting attacks here. Mm-hmm. Then we had the Rune Smiter. Yes, who is a priest, which is important because this is a guy who can do your invocations and or the... Regular prayers. Exactly. Yep, very nice. Out of the three, I actually like him because of his potential to do other stuff. Sure. In addition to the Magma Droth, I really like him. And he's the same in terms of general, you know, move is 12 to 8, 16 wounds, 4 up save, 8 bravery. At least they've kept it all very consistent. Yeah, that is true. Uh, The Fire Steel Throwing Axe and the Roaring Fire Stream, 
Oh my God, they're the same. Yeah. Uh, the lashing tail and the volcanic blood. Oh my God, it's the same. The latch axe is just a little bit different. It's one inch range, two attacks, four by threes, no rend, two damage. The blazing maw and the horns and claws, same. The unique rule for the priest here is runic empowerment is a prayer that has an answer value of three and a range of 12. If the chanter is carrying a runic iron or 18 inches, if the chanter is carrying a forge key, you would make that choice, right? Mm-hmm. Runic iron or forge key. Yep. All right. If the chanter is carrying a runic iron, you can re-roll a chanting roll. If answered, pick one friendly fire slayer's unit wholly within range and visible to the chanter and one to wound rolls for attacks made by unit until your next hero face. Once again, many times we are going to say it, doing anything to that wound roll is very powerful. Yep. So so I really like the pairing of that prayer with a unit of Hearthguard Berserkers in oh. the turn in which you are adding plus one to hit. Yep. The turn in which you can really tip it over is if you choose to trigger the Rune Fathers, you get plus one attack. Like mm-hmm. That is the surest fire way to <laughs> remove a unit from the face of the table. Plus one to everything. Yes, exactly. Yeah, very nice. And, you know, spoiler alert, Hearthguard Berserkers, very good in combat. Yeah, and we'll find that out <laughs> soon enough. Yeah, again, this is my favorite of the three, just because I think he's a little more utilitarian. Mm-hmm. Although that one power from the Rune Father of you adding one to attack characteristics, yeah, that's... That's good, and it should be good. He's the guy that's going to be in charge of your army. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. You know, duh. Yep. Okay. Then we have Fuel, Grimnir, and then the Chosen Axes. This is the underground... Underground. This is the, the underworld. Underworlds warband. Warband. Right. He's a rune. Su- he's a rune father on foot. So four inch move, four up save, bravery eight, six wounds. Yep, yep. He's got latchkey grand axe, same as the father on magma droth. He has the royal retinue. So before you allocate a wound or a mortal wound to this unit, instead of making a ward roll or a wound or mortal wound that would be allocated to this unit, within three inches of its retinue, you can roll a dice on a one to two. That wound or mortal wound is allocated to this unit as normal. Ooh. On a three up, that wound or mortal wound is allocated to this unit's retinue. Instead, if this retinue has a ward, you can make a ward roll before allocating that wound or mortal wound to it. Which is good because you can't always do that with retinues. Correct. He has Dauntless Assault after this unit has fought in the combat phase for the first time. If its retinue has not yet fought in the combat phase and is within three inches of an enemy unit, it's only within 12 inches of this unit, it may immediately fight. Oh, Okay. You know, cool. So, like, we're starting to see that with a lot of foot heroes. It's an incentive to fight with them, you know, in terms of your combat selection. Sure. Which is neat. Yeah. And then cool. he's got the chosen axes, which yeah, come along nice. with him. And there's three of them. Yes. In this unit, 180 points for Grimnir, uh, Fuel Grimnir, and his chosen axes. 180 mm-hmm. taken as a unit. Yep. So, all right. Hand axes and a great axe, right? The hand axes are two attacks, three by threes, nothing, and one damage. The great axe is two attacks, three by fours, minus one, two damage. Okay. The champion adds one to his attack character. So yeah, yeah. Berserker <laughs> Fury. By the way, these are two ones apiece with a five up save. Once per battle for Berserk Fury at the start of the combat phase, you can say that this unit will unleash its Berserk Fury. If you do so until the end of the phase, each time a model in this unit is slain, that model can fight before it is removed from play. There you go. Man. And the Whirlwind of Destructions, you add one to the attacks characteristics. <laughs> if this unit's melee weapons, if it made a charge move in the same turn. So that's fine. Thank I, you. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, whatever. Cool, yeah. Now for the actual Auric Runefather on foot, mm-hmm. who is a four-inch move, four-up save, bravery eight, six-wound model. Wow, it's almost like they're all the same all the time. <laughs> yeah. 
He's got throwing axes, which are the same, and he's got a latchkey grand axe, which is the same. He can pick a retinue, mm-hmm. which we have not explained. Nope. Because the retinue for Fuel Grimnir is was specifically the chosen axes. Yes. The Rune Father has a retinue. At the start of the first battle round, before determining who has the first turn, you can pick one friendly orc hearthguard or hearthguard berserker unit on the battlefield that is not another unit's retinue to be this unit's retinue. Cool. And then the royal retinue rule is the same as Fuel Grimnir, where if you're within three inches of that unit, you roll that dice. On one or two, you take the wound or or mortal wound is allocated to your unit. That's where you would roll a ward save. Oh, no, sorry. Instead of making a ward roll. And then on a three up, you bounce it off, and then that unit can make a ward roll if they have it. Right. Fine. Has Dauntless Assault, same... And then has Lord of the Lodge, which is the same as the Forge mm-hmm. Father on yep. Agmadroth. I actually really like that the rules get streamlined into the different versions of stuff. It just makes it a little bit simpler to manage in terms of knowledge base within the game as a whole. And to the point you made earlier about knowing when to use the runes and other things and timing and how it's all connected, it's nice that they do make things simpler mm-hmm. someplace else in the battle tome, <laughs> that you don't have to think about these other things as much because there's already so many things you have to think about. Right. And it's nice to have that consistency. Here's why I think that Greyfeard has quite a bit of play. Okay. Is... The Rune Father on Magmadroth is 360 points, Oof. which is quite a bit. The Rune Father on foot is 125. Mm-hmm. The heavy lifting that occurs in your army comes from some of the units that we haven't talked about yet. Yes. So adding the durability of these and then saying that I get to take more of the unit that is really quite excellent, I think is quite the way to go. Okay. I'll save us the time of talking about the Rune Sun. <laughs> it's the same for the Rune Sun on Magmadroth without the Magmadroth rules. Four inch move, four up save, bravery seven, five wounds. He gets a retinue. It works exactly the same. His Dauntless Assault is exactly the same. And his Vying for Glory is exactly the same. As it was in the Magmadroth, yep. Right. Okay. You know, All but right. he's 80 points. Next. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think, you know. You're primarily looking at, you know, you can finagle all of this into being a one drop, but I think that there's a lot to be said for a two drop Fire Slayers army that has a lot of foot heroes. Okay. Now you can work in some Magma Droths as you wish in all of that. But as we talk about some of these other characters that we haven't addressed yet, they do some interesting things. And this is where we're going to really start to get in the meat and potatoes of this. How to make sure that you are able to do more. And no, they don't have any special battalions, Dan. Okay, <laughs> okay that's, yeah, that's fair. And this ties back into what you just said about the foot heroes is the benefits of having a Gravefeard Lodge. Exactly. Yeah, this is what you I get think about extra that. wound, yep. and then you get extra artifacts without having to worry about taking battalions mm. to get those artifacts. You're getting the benefit of being this kind of MSU hero army without the artifact penalty, the enhancement penalty. Now, granted, it says specifically artifacts, but I don't know why you would take anything else (laughs) with how good some of these artifacts are. Sure. So, Dan, do you want to talk about the Rune Master? Yeah. He is actually something we haven't discussed yet. Right. He is another priest. Yes. And he is six wounds, four up save, eight bravery, four inch move. All these guys are... Terminator they're, moves. Yeah, they're basically the same. Yeah, okay. Is a 
throwing axe. He has a brazier staff, which is a little bit different. One mm-hmm. inch, two attacks, four by threes minus one D3 damage. He's a high priest of the Zargrim. If this unit is part of a Fire Slayer's army, it knows all of the prayers from the Zargrim which is blessings. Great. That is such a cool rule Huge. to have. Yep. In addition to any other prayers, which is yeah, really, really good. This is the next thing, wise counsel. At the start of your hero phase, if your general's within three inches of any friendly room master, you receive a command point. Boom. You don't even have to roll for it. Mm-hmm. Hello. It's Okay. Now, I think if he is your general, he is within three inches of an Auric Rune Master, so he would get a command point. From himself? Yes. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. if he's not within three inches of somebody else. Because yeah. it, it doesn't say of it's other. any friendly. Yeah. yeah, well, he is a Rune Master. And you can make a good faith argument that he is within three inches of himself. Yes, I believe you could do that, yes. All right, the last thing is Volcano's Call. This is a special rule. Volcano's so this is the call. one thing on his war scroll I'm not excited right. about. Right, right, like right. No, no, I agree. It's a prayer has a, va- a an answer value of three, a range of 18. So the range is good. The mm. prayer answer is good. As the chanter is carrying a runic iron, you can re-roll a chanting roll. Fair enough. If answer, pick one terrain feature wholly within range and visible to the chanter. Roll a die for each model within one inch of the terrain feature. For each six, that model's unit suffers one mortal wound. In addition, until your next hero phase, that terrain feature blocks visibility in the same manner as a wild wood. Okay. Like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. Um, you make a piece of terrain... Line of sight blocking. I think what's more important is that he knows all the prayers because there are three, you know, that I'm pretty fond of. The two Mm -hmm. that we talked about and then one more that, you know, we didn't. Yeah. 125 points. That's pretty tough to beat. Yep. It's a buff character. You're not using him in combat. Right. That's not what it's there for. Sure. And how about the room smiter? Four inch move, four up save, bravery eight, five wounds, that, has a throwing axe, has a latch axe. We have not heard that before. No, and then you got to pick between the runic iron or the forge key. So his runic empowerment is the same. The thing that's different is the magmic tunneling rule. Yeah, here we go. Instead of setting up this unit on the battlefield, you can place it to one side and say that it is set up underground as a reserve unit. Mm-hmm. Then instead of setting up another friendly fire slayers unit, you can place that unit to one side and say that it will join this unit underground as a reserve unit. One unit can join this unit underground as a reserve unit. Hope you like the word unit. At the end of your <laughs> movement phase, you can set up this unit anywhere on the battlefield more than nine inches from all enemy units, then set up that unit that joined this unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit and more than nine inches from all enemy units. Uh, did that make sense? Uh, uh, not at all. <laughs> okay. No, it didn't. <laughs> so you can set this model up off table. Yep. When you go to set up another unit, you can place mm-hmm. that unit with the Rune Smiter. Mm-hmm. It just has yeah. to be a friendly Fire Slayers unit. Yeah. It can be a Magma Droth if you want, or it can be sure. any of your foot units. When you set it up, you can place this guy anywhere more than nine inches from any other unit, and the unit that you brought, also more than nine from enemy units, but wholly within 12 inches of him. Sure. So you get a deep strike. Well, this reminds me of in Nurgle, we had a couple of heroes that allowed people to hang out with them. Yeah. And then when they come in from off board, it's the same kind of a thing. It, this though isn't tied to the in tied to a board edge. Correct. Right. This is But in terms of coming within so many inches of that unit, mm-hmm. it's the same kind of mechanic. So that's great. And deep strike is always a good thing. Now, Brendan, I know this is gonna seem really off topic, but you know okay. these guys are coming in underground, right? Mm-hmm. And my night haunts start out underground. Yep. Don't you ever wonder what happens if they, they run into each, into each other? They're underground. Uh, All right. I had not uh, thought about that. Yes. No. Like, maybe they're uh, okay. Whatever. So he comes in at 135 points, and the reason he does is sure. is because you're 
bringing teleport to a unit that is normally very slow uh, that you're going to be able to get upfield pretty quickly. Well, and again, we've got that modifier to wound rolls mm-hmm. that he gets, and that's good to have. That's worth good its rule. weight. Worth its weight in Urgold. Urgold. All right. You tiles right. of happiness. I want to do the battlesmith if I could, so okay. why don't you talk about the flamekeeper? I will talk about the flamekeeper then. Four inch move, four up save, bravery eight, five wounds. Hope you like that combination of words. We're going to keep saying it for a while. Important thing here is a totem. Mm-hmm. So for command ability issuance. Yep, yep. Has the brazier axe, one inch range. 18 four- inches for the totems, right? Yes. Just, okay, just to remind people. Yep. yep. Thanks. One inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, rend one, damage two. Cool. Okay. He has the master flame rune, and this is a rule I'm not a super fan of. And I think that this is going to be a character that doesn't make it into too many lists. Okay. Uh, When this unit is set up, place a D6 beside it with the one facing up. Each time a friendly fire slayer's model is slain within 12 inches of this unit, increase the value of the dice beside this unit by one to a maximum of six. Once per turn at the start of the combat phase, if the value on the dice beside the unit is a six, you can say that this unit will draw upon the power of the runes of their fallen brethren. If you do so, pick one friendly orc hearthguard, hearthguard berserker, or volkite berserker unit wholly within 12 inches of this unit, and apply one of the following effects to that unit, then change the value of the dice beside. Back to one. Each lasts until the end of that phase. Grimnir's Grit, unit has a ward save as a six. Grimnir's Wrath, if a model in that unit is slain, and that model has not yet fought in that phase, that model can fight before it is removed from play. Grimnir's Resolve. If that unit is within 12 inches of an enemy unit and not within 3 inches of enemy unit, and that unit has not run or retreated in the same turn, that unit can immediately attempt a charge. That one's actually pretty good. Grimnir's Vengeance, this one's the really good one. Grim- add one to the damage characters to that unit's melee weapon. Okay. Not a big fan of rules that are dependent on your models dying. If you end up in a weird place where, you know, it makes sense to squeeze him in, he's 90 points, you can do it fine, but I don't know that I'd be building around. I mean, this rule is a rule I would love to have with my Nighthaunt. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you know? Wouldn't that be great? Every six of my chain rafts that die, I get to do something fun. That would be awesome. Sure, but you're naturally, you know, in a situation where you're fielding a hundred plus models. Right. Yeah. You're awesome. not doing that here. Right. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Now we come to the Battlesmith. Yep. He has five wounds, four inch move, four up save, seven bravery. All right. Throwing axes, yes. Battle axe, yes. A one inch range, four attacks, three by threes, minus one, two damage, so kind of punchy. Icon of Grimnir. So he is a totem as well. Yep. And friendly fire slayer units, wholly within 12 inches, have a ward of six up. Nice. nice. Always love that. In addition, once per battle, there they are, those three words. In your <laughs> hero phase, you can pick one friendly unit on the battlefield with this ability to plant its icon of Grimnar. If you do so until the start of your next hero phase, friendly fire slayer units, wholly within 12 inches, that unit have a ward of five up instead of six up. Hello. Pretty good. Yeah. Get stuck into an objective and you just want to stand there and take a beating. That's not bad. There's a reason that he's 150 points in the army. Yep. And if this, here's another one again. It just, if this unit issues the rally command, he can return the slain model to that unit that receives the command for each four up instead of each six. Pretty good. Yeah. Now, if you use that within the context of, you know, pairing that potentially with the flame keeper. That's a combination of things that becomes a little bit more palatable, Mm -hmm. where you're expecting to take losses, but you're going to reinvigorate yourself. Mm -hmm. It's it's command point burn, but you've got a character that gives you extra command points. I mean, if you took a unit of 
like 20 Volkites, whatever it was. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter which one. That's a lot of wounds, and you're getting models back on a four up. That's a lot to burn through with a five up ward save. And a four up, I think it's four up base save for those guys. Right, so it's a so it's a six up ward save. Yeah, and then every once in a while you're going to bring it up to a five. A five, and you're getting half of them back when you give a rally command. Yeah, it's half of what's missing. Yeah, that's going to be really good. That's going to be really good for holding out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I like him. Very very good. Yep. So you've got the Grimwrath Berserker next. Mm-hmm. Four inch move, four up save, bravery nine, six wounds. Whoa. He's got a throwing axe. <laughs> And then he's got the Firestorm Great Axe, which is one inch range, four attacks, threes by threes, Ren two, damage two. So this is the model that you give the different oaths to. Mm-hmm. He has the Battle Fury. At the end of the combat phase, if this unit is within three inches of an enemy unit and has fought no more than once in that phase, you roll a dice. On a two up, this unit can fight. He's like a he's like a mini uh, mini Gotrek. Gotrek, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Dead but not defeated. In the combat phase, if this unit is destroyed but has fought no more than once in that phase, this unit can fight before it is removed from play. And this is a unit that you can add to their damage, you can add to their rend, Mm -hmm. just make them really, really punchy. He's 105 points. Yep. He's not a leader, so you can take a gazillion of them (laughs) if you were so inclined. Like, you very literally could take a 80-point leader. Mm -hmm. They're your general. Yeah. You can take your minimum battle line, yeah. which is 160 points. Yeah, so 500 points roughly. 125 points if that general is a Fire Slayer Priest or your Hermdar. Oh, yeah, okay. And then you could fill out the rest of your points with these if you were so inclined. Mm-hmm. Why you would do that, I don't know, but you could do it if you wanted. Sure. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. If that works for you. Yeah, if it makes you happy. <laughs> So last up, Dan, of the heroes, we've got the Doomseeker. Doomseeker, yeah. Oh, let's see. we got Fire Steel throwing axes. Mm-hmm. We have the Doomseeker axe, which is three attacks, three by threes, minus one, one, and then the War Iron, which is three attacks, three by threes, no rend, one damage. And so you get both of them, yep. which is neat. Yep, you do get six attacks. At the start of the first battle round, pick one enemy unit for this unit to swear to destroy. At the end of the combat phase, if this unit is within three inches of that unit and has fought no more than once, it can fight again. But only that target, right? Yep. Okay. In addition, in the combat phase, if this unit is destroyed within three inches of the unit it has sworn to destroy and has fought no more than once, this unit can fight before it's removed from play. Wow. You can punch a lot. <laughs> yeah, you can okay. punch a lot. Yep. A lot of die roll in there. But you're only doing one damage and not a lot of rend, so... Well, and this um, is where that changes. This is runic power. Mm-hmm. Add one to the damage characteristic that this unit's melee weapons if this unit has one wound allocated to it. Add two to this unit's melee weapons instead if the unit has two or more wounds allocated to it. So you get plus one damage on your weapons if you've yep. been allocated one Both wound. Both of them. Yep. You get plus two damage if you have two or more wounds allocated to you or if you are killed, basically, the and, and then you trigger piece. Oathbound. Yep. Right. Okay. Yep. That's the first part. So I guess, yeah, not so bad. As long as he's uh, beat up a little bit. Yeah, again, that's not really something I'm super keen on. Yeah. He's 85 points, which is fine. You it, could it, use him as a hero killer, maybe, it, or do neat. something fun. Yeah. yeah, graciously, that brings us to the end of talking about heroes. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which seemed to be made out of a cookie cutter, a lot of it. 
Which is fine. It makes for, you know, more digestible shows than some of the other battle tomes that are character heavy. Yes. Where no character is alike in any way, shape, or going, form. Stop. Take a break. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And even here, we are going to take a break. And we will come back with our, wow, four. Four units. I oh my god, it's insane. and then the invocations and yeah. then the the pizza kitchen. Yep, and then we have of course strategies and tactics. So yep. we'll be right back with that. Brennan, it is time to talk about our four units, mm-hmm. and the first one is the Auric Hearthguard. Yes, so Auric Hearthguard, like we talked about earlier, can be battle line in a Hermdar army or if the Fire Slayer Priest is your general. Mm-hmm. Four-inch move, five-up save, bravery eight, two wounds. And all these troops have two wounds. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. So they have the throwing axes, which are the same. They have the magma pipe, which is 18-inch, two attacks, fours by threes, rend one, damage one. And then the melee version of that, which is one-inch range, one attack, threes by threes, rend one, damage one. A pretty good shooting unit. The Carl adds one of the attacks characteristics of the magma pipe. And then you've got the rock bolts special rule. The unmodified hit roll for a shooting attack made with a magma pike is six. Subtract one inch from the target unit's move characteristics until the end of your opponent's next turn. Mm-hmm. This ability cannot reduce the target's unit's move characteristic below half. That's pretty neat. It becomes a battle line option. And 125 points for five. It's a little pricey. It's an interesting control aspect. It's keeping your opponents out of the things that they want to do. So you're able to set up at 18 inches away with this and then just kind of blast away. Okay, fair enough. Mm -hmm. And then we have the Hearthguard Berserkers. These are the ones with the crazy ward save. Two wounds, five up save, eight bravery, four inch move throwing axes they have a broad axe they also have a pole axe so the broad axe both two inch range both have two attacks both are three by three the broad axe gives you minus one rend and two damage the pole axe gives you no rend and one damage however if the unmodified hit roll for the attack made with the pole axe is six that attack causes two mortal wounds in addition to any damage it inflicts so higher damage or mortal wound potential on a six is the Mm -hmm. choice you're really making here and this this unit has a ward save of four up if it's within nine inches of and just within not no nope, it within. is holy within it is holy it within. Is holy yep, within. there it is yeah i wanted to pretend that word wasn't there sorry <laughs> holy within nine inches of friendly fire slayer heroes which they will be i mean why would you not do that if you're getting a four ward save they also become battle line if the rune father is general okay nice coolio mm-hmm. yeah so our other unit which is two units which used to be one unit now two units. What? Huh? Okay. So you have the Volkite Berserkers with fire steel hand axes, four inch mm-hmm. move, five up save, bravery seven, two wounds. They have the throwing axes. Cool. They have hand axes, which are one inch range, two attacks, threes by threes, no rend, damage one. Their champion, the Carl, adds one to the attacks characteristics of its okay. melee weapons. You have a horn blower, which adds one to charge rolls for this unit if it includes any horn blowers. You have Berserk Fury. Once per battle at the start of the combat phase, you can say that this unit will unleash its Berserk Fury. If you do so until the end of that phase, if a model in this unit is slain, that model can fight before it is removed from play. Cool. And then Whirlwind of Destruction. Add one to the attacks characteristics of this unit's melee weapons if it made a charge move in the same turn. Okay. Like, it's fine. It's one of your straight-up battle line units. There are 170 points for 10. Right. These are units of 10 versus units of 5 for the other two. Correct. Yep. Yeah, that's kind of bland. Then we have the sling shields. We get 
the choice, right, between a hand axe and a war pick. Everything else is the same on these. Except for? The save is different. It's four up instead of a five up save. Mm -hmm. And the war pick, you get one attack, three by fours, minus one rend, one damage, and you get sling shields. Mm -hmm. And after this unit makes a charge move, you can pick an enemy unit within one inch of this unit and roll a die for each model in this unit. For each six, unit suffers a mortal wound. Okay. It's kind of a modified version of the witch's shields. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Kind of a thing. But it's off the charge rather than just as a, right. as a bounce back. And dying, yeah. Yeah, so they're 160 points for 10. I don't really see too big of a difference in two of them, what they do offensively. So if you're taking them, I'm taking the unit that's a little bit cheaper and is a little bit more defensive. Mm-hmm. Because the three attacks at threes and threes with no rend damage one is fine. Obviously, the turn in which you turn on the rend rune, you're turning that up to rend one is quite good. Mm -hmm. But you can look across the board at the lower model counts of the Hearthguard Berserkers and the Auric Hearthguard and say to yourself, well, aren't I doing quite a bit more with quite a bit less in that endeavor? Right. Like, it definitely is quality versus quantity here. Mm -hmm. And the quality wins out is what we're saying. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. If you're spending the same points, I don't think five more Fire Slayers is the thing that's going to win you the battle. I think right now what wins you games is the ability to remove units. Mm -hmm. And Volkite Berserkers with hand axes or sling shields aren't removing units no. from my perspective. No. Let's that's talk it. some invocations and then the Fire Slayers Easy Bake Oven. Yeah. <laughs> easy Bake. Good. Yeah. So invocations, endless spells, same. Kind we have, of, but yes. Yeah. The Molten Infernoth is the first one, mm -hmm. and the invocation is someone with a prayer and has an answer value of four, range of 12. If answered, set it up wholly within range invisible to the caster, more than one inch from all models, terrain features, and other invocations, and then the spells. Burning Tide, after the invocation is set up, the commanding player can immediately move it up to 2d6. In addition, at the start of each of their subsequent hero phases, if this invocation is still on the battlefield, the commanding player can move it up to 2d6 again. So it can move around a lot. That's not bad, but of course that's real swingy. Mm -hmm. But an average is seven inches. After this invocation is moved, the commanding player rolls 12 dice for each unit within three inches of it. For each six, that unit suffers one mortal wound. If the roll to determine how far this invocation moved in that phase is a double, that unit suffers D3 mortal wounds for each six instead of one at the end of the phase. This invocation is removed from play. And fire slayers are not affected because they don't care about fire. Right. It's important to keep in mind that you stay on the battlefield yep. if you didn't roll a double to move, yep. which is just the one mortal wound. If you do, that's when it triggers up to D3 damage, but then at the end of that phase... It's gone. It's gone, exactly. And that's something we find is common to all of these. Correct. So how about that firewall? You've got the firewall, which uh, keeps you safe from internet attacks. The <laughs> yeah. invocation has an answer value of a three and a range of 18 okay. inches. If answered, you set it up wholly within range, visible to caster, more than one inches from all models, terrain features, other invocations, and endless spells. The Roaring Rune Fire. Models cannot move across or through this invocation unless they have the Magma Droth keyword or can fly. The Awaken Runes. At the start of each phase, the commanding player can pick one friendly Fire Slayer unit wholly within 12 inches of this invocation to draw upon its power. If they do so, the commanding player rolls a dice. On a 1 to 5, the unit has a 6 up ward save until the end of that phase. On a 6, that unit has a 4 up ward save until the end of the phase, and the invocation is removed from play at the end of that phase. Ooh, wow. So you're rolling in each phase. So that's cool. That's great. And you can pick. 
you wouldn't roll unless you would potentially want to have a ward in that phase. It occurs at the start. So that's before any allocations or anything like that would happen. So you have to make this decision basically before everything else would happen. Okay. Then we have the Zargon Flame Spitter. I like this one, man. This thing does some work. Invocation is summoned on a three, has a range of six, set up wholly within range, invisible of the caster, more than one inch from stuff. Okay, it has a magma blast at the start of the commanding player's shooting phase. If there are any friendly fire slayer priest within six inches of this invocation, the commanding player can pick one enemy unit within 24 inches. That's nice range, Brendan. Right. It doesn't move, so you have to place it down in a place where you're going to get the most out of it. Right, sure. And you roll 12 dice again. Add one to the roll if the unit has... 10 or more if the target unit, right, has 10 or more models. Mm -hmm. Add two if it has 20 or more. And for each six up, that unit suffers bigger units, more damage. If the commanding player rolls four or more unmodified sixes, after the mortal wounds have been allocated, this invocation is removed from play. Mm -hmm. All right, good. Fine. I think that one has a fair amount of potential. All of these, I think, have good value. You know, the Infernoth mm-hmm. is 70 points, which is quite a bit, but, you know, it's what it is. The Firewall is 55, which I quite like, and the Flame Spitter is 55. You can yeah. definitely make that back relatively easily okay. without too much investment in terms of the hero that's bringing it, as well as what it is that it's bringing to the table. So then we've got the California Pizza Kitchen terrain feature. Magmic Battle Forge. Yeah, yes. You set it up, hold within your territory, more than three inches from all objectives and other terrain features. It's impassable, and you have the Molten Blessing rule. At the start of your hero phase, you can pick one friendly Fire Slayer's Priest within six inches of this terrain feature to control its magmic energies. If you do so until the end of that phase, add one to chanting rolls for friendly Fire Slayer's Priest within 18 inches of this terrain feature. You cannot use this terrain's Molten Blessing and spending the Forge ability in the same phase. So, when you spend the Forge once per battle at the start of your hero phase, instead of using this terrain's Molten Blessing ability, which we just talked about, you can pick one friendly Fire Slayer's Priest within six inches of this terrain feature to spend all of the energy. If you do so until the start of your next hero phase, friendly Fire Slayer units on the battlefield have a ward of a six plus. However, for the rest of the battle, Fire Slayer Priests can no longer use this terrain feature's Molten Blessing ability. Okay, so the oven goes cold. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, that's not bad. Not bad for something that's free. No, not at all. Again, just like some of his other stuff, it's about planning and timing and doing it when it's the right moment to to do those things. Sure, that makes sense. You know, if you have a, a turn, right? You know, you have some combination of because right, it's until your next hero phase is when the pizza oven would go cold. Right. If you've positioned it correctly, you know, you can create a pretty unpleasant and uncomfortable situation where you effectively have two runes going on the table at the same time. Oh, yeah. Right, because yeah. the one rune is the you know six-up ward save, and then you could take something else that makes your opponent go, mm, not super keen on this one. There's a lot of tactics that go into deciding when is the right time to do all of this. You know, you've moved far enough away from the forge where you're, you know, the maintenance of the ability for it is going to become pretty limited. Sure. You know, look from here, it's not really going to do much else for you. Now is the time, you know, to go all in. Stop throwing wood on the fire. Right. Okay. There we go. So we have four new grand strategies for Fire Slayer's army specifically, mm-hmm. and six battle tactics. That's quite good for the Fire Slayers, because what you'll find here is that there are a fair few of them that really double up on the battle tactics that everybody has access to. The first grand strategy is Guarded Lineage. When the battle ends, you completed this grand strategy if there's one friendly Arc Rune Father and one or more friendly Rune Sons on the battlefield. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. You defend the lodge. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy if there are no enemy units wholly within your territory. That one seems like that could be kind of tough. Yeah. Um, given your limited number of units relatively most of the time mm-hmm. and the size of a board, I, I, yeah. You literally, in order for your opponent not to get this, you could just drop or move something really fast. A unit of three somethings, mm-hmm. a piece, a unit of cavalry or something, and boom, they get no grand strategy. Right. That one seems a little bit iffy. It's, it's easier to deny yeah. Than, yeah. than some other ones. And then we have Oath Takers and Skull Breakers. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If you completed at least four battle tactics, and every battle tactic you completed this battle was from the Oaths of Battle list, which are... The ones for Fire Slayers. Yep. Okay. And then last up, you have Master of the Forge. When the battle ends, you complete this grand strategy. If there are any invocations under your command on the battlefield, that one seems pretty doable to me. Yeah, especially given some of the priest choices you have mm-hmm. to get and, stuff done. And some of the ways and means in which you could kind of hide that invocation over the course of the battle and it sure. not disappear. Yeah, good. Look, so. Looking at you, Firewall. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So a couple of these are doable. A couple seem a little... A little difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I'd rely on those. Then we have Oaths of Battle, which are our tactics. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one is Settle a Grudge. Each time a friendly unit is destroyed by wounds caused by an attack, make a note of the enemy unit that made that attack in a book of grudges. When you pick this battle tactic, pick one of those enemy units that is still on the battlefield. You complete this tactic if that unit is destroyed during this turn. So you basically just kill a unit that did some killing. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Fine. Actually cool. I like that. Beast Slayer, pick one enemy monster and one friendly hero. You complete this tactic if that monster is slain by wounds caused by attacks made by that hero during this turn. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. A version of bring it down. Yep. Or slay the warlord, depending. Then, yeah, right. Then Grimnir knows no mercy. You complete this tactic at the end of the turn. If there are any friendly Volkite Berserker units on the battlefield, and all of them are within three inches of any enemy units. Okay. Uh, uh, no. Uh, no, thank you. I mean, you can do it, but yeah. Yeah. An honorable death, pick one friendly hero. You complete this tactic if that friendly hero is slain during this turn, and any enemy models were also slain by wounds caused by attacks made by that hero during this turn. Grimwrath Berserkers. There you go. Here you go. There it is, yep. Yep, that is it. Seize by force. You can pick this tactic only if you control fewer objectives than your opponent. You complete this tactic if you control more objectives than your opponent at the end of this turn. Okay, just flip it. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, it's a version of Conquer. Yeah. And it's what you want to be doing in the game anyways. And Ignomious Death, pick one enemy hero. You complete this tactic if that enemy hero is slain by wounds caused by an attack made with a fire steel throwing axe during this turn. <laughs> so there's the reason. That's why you would pick the Fire Slayer axe rune. That's the reason. <laughs> that's why you would do it. Okay. So that's the book. Yeah. Thoughts, Dan? Just, I just think you have to be, you know, this doesn't, detract from anybody else you just have to be so familiar and almost expert with knowledge of this book and understanding how everything interacts in order for this book to be viable in terms of being competitive Mm -hmm. i think it just takes a lot more in-depth knowledge of how things work together timing as you've mentioned several times you just have to really be committed to that before you think about starting or playing an army like this Sure. And if you're not willing to put in the time and do the reps, then I don't think you're going to be successful at this army. It's going to be pretty difficult because there's not anything that really jumps out at you as 
this is the only way to to be successful. Mm-hmm. I think there's a couple of things that jump out as being key elements to being successful. Mm-hmm. So I think the Hearthguard Berserkers, you're going to see quite a fair few of them. But I think it's a totally legitimate way is to play all Magma Droths all the time. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have a ton of them. It's not going to be great. You know, you're going to end up with five or six of them at most. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, that's fine. I think the way that is going to develop is going to be maybe one Fire Slayer on Magma Droth. Not necessary, I don't think, right? Because the rules that you would pick up from all the Magma Droth, the foot guys have identically. And that goes to your earlier point of the strength of the foot heroes in this book. I mean, there are some really good ones, and I think you can get away, you know, the opposite of going with all Magma Droths. Mm -hmm. I think you can easily get away with not having any of them and still have a successful list. I think that there's two lists that are going to come out of this. It's either going to be a two-drop, and the lists are going to be kind of similar, where you've gone the direction of two drops to get as low as you can with you know, somewhere between four and six heroes and just as many dudes as points will buy. Okay. Or you go for a zillion drops and you take your other battalions that let you reroll runs, reroll charges. You basically just take a lot of swift battalions. You get hunters in there. You get that kind of stuff. And on the first list, are you talking, when you're talking about just getting bodies, mm-hmm. so that's a Volkite list? Not necessarily. Okay. It's just units of foot dudes. I still am of the opinion going through the book and kind of sitting and, and thinking about it. There's a reason and a place to probably take some of them, but it's not what I would build the foundation of my army on. The foundation of my army is going to be built on Auric Hearthguard and, and Hearthguard Berserkers. A unit of Volkites may make sense for a combination thereof of like the Flamekeeper and the Battlesmith to kind of create this unshiftable hmm. brick that just lives mm-hmm. there. Sure. And using that combination of, you know, adding one damage to the, you know, three attacks coming off the charge with the Volkite with hand axes, pretty good. You know, paired that with the rune, the battlesmith is nearby. But thinking about all the points that you're pouring into that activity, you know, that's nearly a quarter of your army to, to do that exactly. And it requires you to lose models to get that jacked up all the way. Sure. It's understanding where all the gears turn together, right? To your earlier point, some of the things we talked about in this review. The rest of it, though, I think is primarily leaning on knowing where to put the right things and when, right? Knowing what prayer to use when. The priest that knows all the prayers is a great way around Mm -hmm. having that balance, not having to have too many priests if you want some, you know, rune father, rune son, you know, combo, some tunnelers and that kind of thing. It's a way that cuts cuts back on that activity. Making the decision between do your runes trigger more easily or do you want to be able to have the back-to-back you know, runes? Do you take two battlesmiths to be able to pick two points on the battlefield and you go, this is where I live and good luck taking it from me? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that is where I think a lot of the decisions a fire slayer general is going to have to make. Having the Hearthguard Berserkers add, you know, a fair bit of durability in being in range of heroes. They get a four-up ward save. The heroes can bounce mortal wounds over to them, you know, from their oh, right. new save, and then mm-hmm. they would get the ward save on top of it. So that pairing of things is pretty strong. 
Sure. I was thinking of, you just talked about tunnelers. One use for the Volkite, they don't have like a central role perhaps, Mm -hmm. but it would be pretty neat to drop a unit of 20 or 30 of them somewhere. You want to take an objective, whatever else it is, and just have them there. I mean, that's a lot of of wounds with a fair save. And if you have a leader close, some things you might be able to do with that, that might be a, a use of them that wouldn't be as straightforward. Right. So no. one of the things you can do, and it takes two tunnelers to do it and three of your heroes, Okay, is one tunneler brings that 20 or 30 unit of Volkites, and then another tunneler brings a battlesmith. <laughs> yeah. But again, that's three of your maximum six leader slots. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And that's two of your priests as well. (laughs) There's an investment to be made in doing that. Is it a bad idea? Not necessarily. You know, it just becomes different. It becomes more difficult. Now, one of the ways you can get around that is you can use the firewall and use that as your thing that kicks out a ward save aura for the Volkites that you drop over there. Mm -hmm. That's a way to do it. Obviously, that's quite the point saver and your heroes are available in other locations. This feels a lot like when we were talking about Nurgle versus when we were talking about Stormcast, where here what we're talking about is a book that requires more patience, more understanding, and more time with it to get the result that you're looking for. I do think it has the ability to win events in the same way that you're talking about Nurgle, but the things that have to go right is quite a bit less straightforward than what happens with Stormcast, where it's just like, here's my unit that shoots a zillion times and destroys everything that it looks at, and I'm going to do it twice in my first turn, and it's going to kill your most important things, and there goes your army, and you go, that was really (laughs) difficult to figure out. Thank you for that. A well-played Fire Slayer army is going to be something pretty interesting to behold. Okay. I think it's a meaningful upgrade from where the Fire Slayer book was at, you know, prior to this one getting released, and I look forward to seeing it at Adepticon and seeing what folks do with it. Great. All right, man. I think that's it. So listeners, that's it for this battle tome. And we'll be back in a couple episodes with Deepkin. The Fishmen. Mm-hmm. And see how that goes. And we will move on then to Scriptorium. Brendan, it's scriptorium time, and there's a couple of new things out. They're both pre-orders this week. Uh, We have Katachin Devil, so if you're into Katachin Jungle Fighters on the Astra Militarum side, sounds like a really fun book. And yeah, I mean, that's it. That's kind of it. Sounds like a fun book. (laughs) Yes, if you're into such things. If you're into books that are fun. Yeah, and then Trader General, which is the eighth Gaunt's Ghost book, is now out. So both of these are out on audio. So that's it for new releases. And that's yeah, Brendan, what do you got for your stuff? So I finished Clash of Kings. Oh, nice. And I started Storm of Swords. So we got that going. Good. There's a, it's not a documentary, it's a, on HBO, it's based on real life events, but it's, it's more movie than it is documentary. Okay, it's, so it's kind of like historical fiction. Yeah, a little okay. bit. Right. About the Showtime Lakers, and it follows around Jerry Buss and the purchase of the Lakers. Yeah. Back in the day, way back in the day. It's been really fun. It's done by Adam McKay, who... Likes to do humorous takes on sports and things like that. Oh, there's, okay. there's a fair bit of like fourth wall breaking where you know John C. Riley, who's playing Dr. Jerry Buss, turns and speaks to the camera. The guy they have playing Magic Johnson looks just like that's pretty like fun. young Magic Johnson. That's like fun. It's it's really uncanny. So it's pretty cool. It's been fun. They're about an hour long. They're two episodes in. 
you know, I think it's like eight or ten episodes or something like that. Okay. I don't know how far into the Jerry Bus era they're going to go, but I have to assume it's through all of Showtime and Magic. Okay. So Cool. What about you? Reading, I finished that Castaway Resolution book. It was good. Very technical. It was interesting that way. That's what I enjoyed about it. They really were explaining all kinds of scientific processes and things when they were doing their design work and all these things to try to escape from the planet. So that was fun. And then I returned to Curse City. And after 80 pages, I realized how much I love C.L. Werner's writing. Mm-hmm. You know, he did the Bruner books. He did the Thulman books. And his style just carries through. And it was really, really great. I think it was on page like 15 when I stopped reading before and I just flew through it. I didn't even realize how much I had read. And it was like, yeah, he is just so easy to read. Even though it's in the mortal realms, it just still feels, you know, like high fantasy. It feels like that old world stuff. Gothical Hollow listens is on hold again. <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever gonna finish it because Magister and the Martyr, that second Iron Snakes book came out. And so I'm listening to that and then when I finish with that, I'm gonna listen to Trader General. That's a total like twenty plus hours of listening. Yeah, you start it and then sure enough, like the next day something that you actually want to listen to comes out. So oh, I I get it. Yeah, it's tough. In terms of watching I mean, basketball. It, <laughs> Basketball, basketball, basketball. That's all it's been since last weekend. You know, we were moving and everything. And then this week where we tried to take care of starting to unpack stuff, it just was basketball, which is fine. And then I think I mentioned last time, if not, I was going to see the Batman movie. And it turned out to be pretty good. It was surprisingly entertaining. It was hellaciously dark. I mean, not just physically dark but just the story was very dark compared to the other batman movies you know there's a limit to how dark it can get this genre can go but i think he did a really good job of portraying what a lot of people think that bruce wayne should be i mean there's some people who criticized it i liked it i liked his portrayal of him i would recommend it for a lot of reasons i enjoyed it so I would definitely tell people if you're a Batman fan or you've watched the other Batman movies, this one might be something you want to consider. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, it's something that I am interested in watching, right? Mm-hmm. You know, who doesn't love Batman? So. Yeah. Now, the one guy who was it was shocking to me because I didn't realize it was the guy who played Penguin. He really wasn't like you consider what Penguin has been in all the other movies. He wasn't like that, but his character name was Penguin and he kind of looked like it, but it was Colin Farrell. When you look at pictures of this guy in the movie, you're like, there is no way that that was Colin Farrell. I had no idea who it was. So he did just an amazing job on his makeup. It was very, very cool. That's it then, I think, for listeners and stuff like that. All right, so let's move on to this or that. Okay. Brendan? There's always choices, choices. You can go first. Okay. My first question is a science question. Mm. Do you prefer deciduous or coniferous trees? (laughs) I feel like you looked out your window and went, hmm, I've got one more question to go. What do I got? Which, to be fair, is how I wrote one of my questions. Okay, but still, this one is so far out. Anyway. I'll uh, take coniferous trees, Dan. For 200? Yeah. <laughs> so you like Christmas trees as opposed to trees with leaves. I got it. Yeah, because okay. it, it means I don't have to rake my lawn. 
Okay, that, that is a practical... I'm a, a low-maintenance kind of guy. <laughs> okay. When you're shopping, do you go to Walmart or Target? Walmart. Uh, and Walmart was where I did almost all of my grocery shopping in college. Oh, Was Walmart. Wow. Yeah, there was a big, like, super Walmart in... Is it the one that was kind of on the east side of town? It was right near the freeway, right near the interstate? I'm saying this because it's right. the one I stop at all the time when I'm driving down. No, that one that car. one's a little bit further off campus. Okay. The right. there's one that's just like a little bit north of the stadium. Okay. And that's what and that's where I would go. See, aren't you impressed that I knew that? It was like yeah. Yeah, you're right. There are two Walmarts and yeah. the one that's right off the highway is, you know. Yeah. It's easy. Right. Easy and, on and, and off. And for those interested, I went to Purdue because I never shut up about it. <laughs> and a lot of these events, you do have to drive through West Lafayette. Yeah. And yep. I'm legally required to put my feet on the ground if I drive through the area to <laughs> just, you know, you turn towards campus and sing the fight song. And <laughs> all right. Fire Slayers. Mm-hmm. Do we take... Pole axes or broad axes? See, and I think that one's a really good question. We And this we, is for our Hearthguard Berserkers. Yeah, yeah, that we did kind of skip over. I think both have merits in taking. Mm-hmm. You take the pole axes for instances and units which don't have a good save. You take the broad axes against things that do have you know some level of save. You make sure you get them into the right thing in the crank up the Ren turn. Yeah, and the pole axes are the ones that give you the mortals. Right. right? Yeah, okay. And so you want to throw those things that have no ability to save against Rend. They're also good that you throw against something that has a really high armor save that is going mm. to do some save stacking to take your broad axes and make sure that whatever Ren they're doing doesn't exist. You just skip all that with your mortal wounds. Yeah, yeah. four to six is the sweet spot for broad axes. Pull axes live at two or better and five or worse. Okay. But if I got to pick one unit, I'm probably taking the pull axes. Okay. For the mortals. All right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Sports question. Okay. If you had to choose between these two to win the win everything. Win it all. Are you going to pick Arizona or Gonzaga? Well, I'd have to follow my bracket then. I took Gonzaga. Okay. All right. I'm just asking. Mm-hmm. So that is my... I think they're far and away the best team. And that's it's, great. They've been consistent all the way through, and there is something to be said of a high level of consistency, especially this time of year. Sure. Absolutely. Your high-variance teams uh, are likely to dis- are just as likely to disappoint as they are to do the winning. Okay. And then the last one is, you're going to get a uh, milkshake it out and out. Okay. <laughs> the same question. And... Are you going to get a chocolate or a vanilla milkshake? I have this exact same question on, on my sheet. It's great. <laughs> well, you can ask it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'd probably get a chocolate shake. Okay. Um, That's hilarious. It's not that I don't think vanilla has no flavor. I just think chocolate has more. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. The only reason I asked is because we picked up a vanilla one for Sydney just now. We took a break. And so, as, you know, peeking behind the curtain, you and I both had only three questions and you said i still need to fill out two and i said yeah me too and i looked up and cindy was walking past with the milkshake and Same i just reason. went vanilla or chocolate so you inspired both our questions that's hilarious all right man that's my five well i'll get one question out of the way dan the new lunch place that we went to for you know because i'm sure you all heard the new intro we're in a different location than we have been yeah no more jersey mike's jersey mike's 
Uh-huh. It is now, uh, at least for the first show, Out and Out, which I thought for sure was going to be a burger place, but, yeah. you know, pleasantly surprised. It's a local place, too. It's not a mm. chain, so. Would you get a vanilla or a chocolate shake, Dion? I would get a chocolate shake. Okay. Yeah. Yep. If you had, you were going to purchase an army of fire slayers, I'm not saying it's happening. No, no. What sub-faction of Fire Slayers would, would you most want to play? I would probably do... Lothnir? The Magma Droth. I could edit. I would probably do Lothnir because I would like to do a Magma Droth army. As much as, at least for me, they're not very productive in terms of damage. I think there are a lot of things in the, in the book that could do more damage. Mm-hmm. But I just think it would be so cool to have five or six guys riding into battle. And the thing is with it, though, there's a lot of stuff you can do with that particular lodge. And there are a lot of things that you can do to enhance the survivability and the damage output of those units. It's just with only five or six models, how do you, you can hold only be in so many places? Right. We know that's always an issue in this game. So definitely would be Lothnir, okay. just from a, a narrative storytelling kind of point of view from an army. We've seen two battle scrolls now. The first of which was the modification to the the god level war scroll. Mm-hmm. The second of which is, as I have already talked about, a layer of complexity which I think is unwarranted and short sighted. Next quarter, what would you like to see the battle scroll be and cover? You know, because obviously you've seen at this point that they're willing to address a variety of things. It could be a set of rules. Could be an interaction of some items. What would you like the next battle scroll to address? What I've seen is it's either kind of an update or it's a balance. Mm-hmm. They're going to do one or the other. I mean, maybe they'll do something else. But assuming they do one of those two things, I would rather see it be another one that addresses balance more than updating specific war scrolls. I just think there's still this stuff notwithstanding, because we really don't know the effect of the latest battle scroll. We know other than creating a lot of confusion and complexity, to your point. Mm -hmm. I just think there are other things for those top-tier armies that need to be done. And obviously, by the time three months rolls around, we're really hot into the tournament season. There have been a lot of events that will come out. We may or may not see a shakeup in the top, but we haven't really yet. I would rather see something fundamental change for, like, giants. I would love to see them do with Giants the same thing they did with Kragnos mm-hmm. in terms of how many models does it count for. You know, something that's really outstanding like that. Or with Thunder Lizards. I mean, they're always up there. You know, they're always, and rightfully so, with the rule set they have. I'd like to see something that makes it more competitive for other armies mm-hmm. and makes it so that you can... It warrants some other decision-making. Right, you know, for them to shake things up because I've talked a lot before about how I just hate it when I always see the same thing from certain factions. And it's like... Let's do something else. Yeah, mix it up a little bit. And then that would be more interesting. Sure. Long answer to a short question. Okay. CBA got approved. Lockout's over. Mm -hmm. Baseball's back. If you could change one rule in baseball, what would you change? They changed the rule I wanted changed. Yeah? Designated hitter rule. Okay. I just have always felt that was such a big deal that one league didn't have their pitchers hitting and the other one had to. I mean, it was always fun when you saw a pitcher hit a home run from your team because you were in the National League and you had to your pitchers had to swing the bat. Mm-hmm. But I think it's nice that they leveled the field with that one. So that's one I'm really happy they made. 
So my last question, through the first half of the second round, going forward, what is the upset Cinderella team that you are most rooting for currently? And other half of the question, where do you think it ends for them? My answer would be St. Pete. I I would like to see them. What ends in front of the Boilermakers? I would like to see them make it to the final four. Absolutely not, Dan. I would love to see that. And I know why you don't want it. We all know why you don't want that to happen. But I think that would be totally amazing if if what 15 seed could get to the final four. That would be awesome to see that. That would be so cool. Now, it would be over the bodies of your Purdue players, but... Well, not yet. They still have to play Texas. If they Um, they get that far... But Texas stands no chance, and then we're going to beat up St. Pete's, (laughs) and then we're going to lose to UNC, probably. (laughs) So, yeah, that would be my choice, buddy. Okay. Yeah. Those are my questions. All right. Moving on, then, to show close time. There is something going on around here, something you may not even know about. Any Sunday announcements, my friend? If you are a fan of Eldari, oh, Saturday is your day. More stuff! Yeah, more stuff. Ah, they got so much already. The new Avatar, that comes out. Oh, nice. That's yeah. going to be neat. Looking Beat forward stick. to those conversions. Beat stick. And there's some other stuff. And then the range rotation, there's a bunch of space marines that are being rotated out. Yeah, so. yeah classic space marines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was a, an audio book I listened to where these two space marines were talking. They'd just beaten like a hundred gene stealers or something. And the one guy, he goes, you know, after this, I think I'd like an easier duty, like facing an Eldar avatar one-on-one or <laughs> something like that. I know the rules have changed for him quite a bit. All right, so that's our Sunday announcements. And our next episode, Brendan will be post-Adepticon. Yep. We will talk about all our adventures at all our different events. And you get to talk about your massive monster event and your team event. Super excited for teams. That Very is ready. really cool. Sounds like, from what you've been saying, it's going to be really fun. Your bass sounds insane. All the other things going on. I think it'll be a fun episode to talk about things we love to do. I'd and say come look for our board, but it'll be impossible to miss. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, listeners, thank you for joining us. I hope you found, as always, that useful. Please communicate with us, you know, emails or you know, on uh, Twitter with... Brendan's stuff, hobby underscore bear, mm-hmm. and let us know what you think. Uh, pass the word on if you would be so kind. We really appreciate that. And otherwise, Brendan, thank you. Yeah. My friend for driving up and. It's nice that you've got the Ancient One studio all set up. Yes, it's, it's beautiful. definitely not a folding table in the you know <laughs> in the middle of the living room. It's it's this well constructed and manicured location. Dining room table, beautiful, yeah, beautiful, just fantastic. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. That too. And listeners, as always, thank you for joining us. Thank you for taking the time. We appreciate your support. You all take care, and we will see you next time around. Bye. This is.